Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irritating Mobile Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and uh, I have to say it was very nice of you to take the sickness that I had at the last Who's Who and take it on for yourself. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> yeah, I've definitely got something going on in my throat, so a good thing you're leading this episode, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, as most of you will uh, soon learn, the fates have decided that I'm leading the way for the Legion-centric issue of Who's Who. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, can't, I, I counted up 13 of the 32 pages in this comic let, are Legion-centric. <laughs> let's do a drinking game. Take a, take a drink every time I say something to the effect of, I don't know who this character is, or I don't care who this character is. And oh just see how gosh. hammered you get by the time uh, we get to the uh, final entry. Wait, Katana's not in this issue. I don't but get that bum, one. I don't get it. We don't care about Katana. Anyway. Oh, okay. Wow. I was, right. I was turning it away from Legion. I was okay. picking on the Outsiders. Anyway. Well, but she's not in this issue. That's why it didn't make any sense. That's what I just said. All right. Okay. Anyway. All right. Folks, we are back for another episode of Who's Who. We're very excited about this. This time out, we are covering Who's Who, the definitive director of the DC Universe, Volume 13. Wrapping up a little bit of the Ks and getting into most of the Ls. Now, folks, uh, if this is your first time listening to one of our episodes, just to give you a brief history, this we are covering the 26-issue series of Who's Who, celebrating the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. It is an alphabetical listing, as I mentioned. Each issue has a cover jam. We're going to talk about in a moment. No ads. No advertisements. Only 100 pennies. No ads. Can't believe it. Our goal is that you don't need the comic book in front of you. Uh, we're going to go through the issue page by page, entry by entry, almost word by word. But anyway, the goal is for you not to have to have the comic in front of you. We're going to put about 10 or 15 of them up on our Tumblr, and you'll be able to see some of those there. The rest of them, hopefully, we're going to describe them well enough for you. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. Now, if you happen to have the issues, bust them out. Follow along. And we'll talk about the entries as we go. Now, this particular issue, uh, it is cover dated March 1986, and it hit the shelves on December 12th, 1985. Set your way back machine to that date, folks. December 12th, 1985. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that. And that is one month after Crisis. We are officially in the post-Crisis DC universe, it my friend. It all feels so different. <laughs> it's all new and shiny. <laughs> Well, uh, you want to talk about the cover? Well, we should do, we should do in stock trades first. We should totally do that. Absolutely. <laughs> you guys like this running shtick where we have where before I we get carried away? Yeah. Every episode of uh, Fire and Water, I pretend to forget about it, and then Rob reminds me. It's like a running gag. Anyway, it's like a running gag. Yes. It is like a running gag. Yes. If you're not familiar with in-stock trades, folks, again, you don't listen well enough. They are the best online source for your trades, hardcovers, and collected editions, all for up to 45, 45% off with free shipping and for orders of $50 or more. Now, I picked a couple of books here. Um, actually, I picked a lot. What I'm going to do is just run through them. 
uh, picked out a bunch of Legion of Superheroes trades by written by Paul Levitz that are all out in in-stock trades. Legion of Superheroes, an eye-for-an-eye trade paperback. It normally goes for $17.99. You can get it for $9.89. This collects the first few issues of the Legion Baxter series. You can get the second trade paperback in the Baxter series, Legion of Superheroes, The More Things Change. Again, $9.89. Normally goes for $17.99. Legion of Superheroes, The Great Darkness Saga, hardcover. This is, this is the big one, folks. If you're a Paul Levitz... Uh, Legion fan, this is this is the one that everyone talks about. Dark Side comes to the 30th century. Normally retails for $39.99 because this is a hardcover. You can get it for $21.99. Amazing, amazing stuff. And there's a whole bunch of other Legion trade, paperback, trade paperbacks out there. There's Legion archives that are out there for 45% off. Lots of great stuff. Definitely check it out. Okay. Um, I kept things related to Huzu as well. Uh, one of the entries this month is Crypto, the super dog. And so I am picking a book that features, in many ways, my favorite crypto moment. Not that I have a lot, but the greatest crypto moment of all time, I would say. Alan Moore and Kurt Swan, Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which, as everyone who's listening to this probably knows, is the final Superman story of the sort of classic Silver Age Superman, written by Alan Moore. Two-part story that appeared in Superman number 423, Action 583, drawn by Kurt Swan, Kurt Schaffenberger, and George Perez. Um... I uh, it, it features a moment with crypto that uh, I, I'm just going to say never fails to slightly choke me up every time I read it. And it's mm-hmm. as silly as it is. This is a dog with superpowers wearing a cape. And yet Alan Moore gave us some, several moments with crypto, but one particular that every time I read it, I really do kind of get upset. It is that good. So if you've never read this story, this quote unquote final Superman story, do yourself a favor, get this book. It also features the story for The Man Who Has Everything from Action Comics Annual Number 11, which is also by Alan Moore, and DC Comics Presents Number 85, which was Superman and Swamp Thing, also written by Alan Moore. So it's it's a big – it's a, how many pages? 128 pages of Alan Moore writing Superman. Uh, the normal price is $14.99. It's like Trades has it for $8.24. This edition features a brand-new cover by Brian Boland. So even if it didn't even even if it just had those two issues of the what happened to the man of tomorrow, that would be worth eight dollars and twenty four cents. So if you don't if you never read the story, pick it up. You will not be disappointed. It is a giant, big uh, Valentine to Superman. Courtesy, <laughs> courtesy Alan Moore and the other fine folks at DC at the time saying goodbye to the Superman we all knew and loved. Ironically, it probably came out. I don't know my exact dates, but pretty close to when this who's who, particular issue who's who came out. Uh, yeah, it came out just before Man of Steel, so that's probably. I'm sure Mike Bailey's out there going, "No, it didn't come out, you idiots!" Yeah. It was four months later. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, folks, uh, that is again that's InStockTrades.com, and remember, free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Our thanks to InStock Trades. Uh, okay, yeah, who's who? Book thirteen. Uh, cover-wise, George Perez is back after yes, after uh, after Paris Collins uh, did I think what like six or seven issues. Uh, the main character here, they 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 sort of bifurcated and give Lois Lane. They share her. They share the main cover space. She spare, she shares the main cover space. Let me slow down with Lightning Lad, which I'm sorry, I'm calling shenanigans. What? I, I, Lois Lane is the main character. Lois Lane is one of the most famous comic book characters. Ever, people who have never read a comic book or seen a Superman movie know who Lois Lane is. She does not deserve to share the space with somebody from the Legion of Superheroes. Sir, what? you are wrong. I am not wrong. You are wrong, no. and here's why. 
you need to take some business classes and understand that you push what makes you money. I so, know that. I know so, that. Their number one book at the time was Teen Titans. Yes. Their number two book at the time was Legion of Superheroes. Right. I understand the financial reasons behind it. I now, totally Superman, understand. Superman is of equal importance, but wasn't selling that well. So it's actually quite a testament that Lois got that spot on the cover, quite honestly. Even whether she deserves it or not, from a business perspective, it's actually quite uh, kind of them to give Lois that spot. Okay. I mean, like I said, I understand the business. Of, of course, that's why they did it. But I still yep. feel as though Lois Lane is, you know... Please. She deserves she deserves to be looking at the camera. But that said, it's fun. Perez has them interacting in, in, a, in very fun ways. Lois is interviewing Lightning Lad and Little Cheese, oddly enough, um, <laughs> which is which is really fun. I love her tape recorder now, which is <laughs> the size of like a small car, you know, and, and then nowadays it's a big <laughs> little iPhone. But uh, we see, you know, this is we got a million things going on. We have uh, Lilith cradling Streaky the Super Cat in the uh, front left, which is really very sweet. All the Legion characters are all squaring off against one another. Um, there's one who's that little guy that's getting zapped uh, right in the well, center. Well, well, hold on, these they're not all Legion characters; they're well, L characters. Uh, no, I know that, but I mean most of them are Legion characters. All sort of fight. They're the ones that are the Legion are fighting off because you've got Light, Lightning Lord. Who's that? Lightning, yeah, Lightning Light, Lord. Lightning Lord and, and Lightning Lass, brother and sister, are both zapping the same and Lightning um, Lad. They're all zapping the same little dude. Who is that? I forget who that little dude. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, you see Kronos popping in from another universe, which is kind of fun. Uh, we see Looker up in the top right. Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys flying around. Lady Quark and Lady Luna. Uh, going after one another, so it's uh, there's just a ton of action. My, I guess my favorite bit is the far left back cover. You see Lord Stet- Lord Schilling, a character from Tomahawk, holding a giant piece of kryptonite and looking sort of confused. Which I really, and then he's and he's getting presumably some advice or something from the Lord of Time, which is a nice gag that the Lord of Time, of course, is familiar with somebody from several hundred years ago. That is funny. By the way, I think that little guy is probably Micro Lad from the Legion of Supervillains. I could be uh, wrong. That's probably what it but. is. Now, th- other things worth note. Now, you mentioned Little Cheese on the cover. The the Oz Wonderland Wars had just started, so this was sort of a kind of help, probably try and pimp that miniseries that was coming out. Right, right. You also get Looker on the cu- on the on the right panel, meaning the side that was facing the customer. And of course, that's a nod to Batman and the Outsiders. And the Corona piece being on the cover as well. At first, I thought that was kind of odd that he was so well placed but then like oh well you know what crisis just right, finished right. he played such a huge he, part in that series yeah. exactly now personally i was very thrilled to see lady um lady uh, how do you say it uh kian or i think kian uh, i think yeah we'll pronounce? just say that there's no pronunciation this month so of course there's no know. yeah exactly so lady kian's and yeah. that's kind of cool um i love this is kind of silly kung is the guy that can take on animal powers yes i love that beppo the super monkey is touching him like just reaching out, yeah. kind of like, you know, animal to animal thing there. <laughs> and then uh, the last thing I can't help but love is the little boy blues. Yes. Two of them are riding Comet the Super Horse, and one of them has apparently been rescued by Crypto. By Crypto, yeah. Yeah, which is great. It's love cute. that. It's very cute. Very nice Perez book. Re- cover really nice. It is actually it's the first time in a long time because Paris Collins did it so often. We don't get a major central circular theme. Most right. covers, if you go back, always had some sort of central circular theme, and this one does not really have it. Right. Yeah, Perez didn't worry as much about putting them all in the same physical space. I mean, clearly Lois Lane and Lightning Lad are not really existing in the same physical dimension as everybody else because the sizes are off, and he just didn't worry about that. 
Paris, yep. Paris Cullen's made a little more effort to kind of have them all in the same physical space. But either both approaches uh, work just fine. Yep, it's nice. Good cover. <laughs> so uh, on the inside cover, uh, the letters page is devoted to just one letter from someone who just signs their name M from Spartanburg, South Carolina. And M uh, has nine different questions, some of which are a little more polite than others. Uh, <laughs> we have number three. He says, don't use so much Jack Kirby artwork. There's just too much of it. You know, okay. Uh, I mean, I just kind of understand that, but at the same time, it is sort of a little, you know, kind of a jerky way to put it. Um, he, I, think, I think Len responded quite well to it. Yes. He also criticizes the fact – this this is the one thing I really don't agree with. Having each character entry with a separate logo is sort of tacky and unprofessional looking. One set, larger type size, and one section of the page would look so much neater. I don't agree with that at all. I love the fact that people got different logos. Yes, some of the logos are pretty cheesy because they clearly had, you know, these were for characters that never had a logo, so they had to, like, you know, probably tell Todd Klein, hey, Todd, do, can you do 13 new logos before lunch? So some of them are not that great, but I love the fact that they all got their own logos. I think that was one of the nicest touches to Who's Who. So I completely disagree with this jerkwad about the uh, logos. I, I think he's clearly a Marvel Universe fan yes. who's buying Who's Who is what, what we're seeing here. Yeah. Um, so, yes. The, the piece of his letter I wanted to point out was in uh, Len's response, he does point out that they were planning a book called Who's Who in the Superman Family. That yes. would have been cool. Yes, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. We would get to that in, what, 2019, I guess, if we've ever done that? <laughs> if, if it was ever published. If they'd ever done it, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Len does take this quite seriously and, and uh, answers him fairly politely. But, uh, yeah, some, some of these who's who letters are pretty rough. Uh, but, anyway, that's enough. That's enough space devoted to M here. Let's get started. Uh, first entry, Krona, drawn by Gil Kane. Very nice entry. I know you're not the hugest fan of cocaine. What's your what's your read on this particular artwork? Well, it's not fair to say I'm not a huge fan of cocaine. It's fair to say that I haven't been too impressed with Gil Kane's work in here okay. and in his stuff in the '80s. But uh, there's been some huge, you know, really, really big hits like that. Johnny Thunder Gil Kane is still like one of my uh, favorite yeah. songs in all of Who's Who. This one's a miss, in my opinion, especially coming off of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And seeing Corona being such a big character in it and looking like he did on the cover here by George Perez, you know, looking sort of almost like Invincible's dad a little bit with a widow's peak. But uh, in, in here, it, it, it's a miss to me. Okay. I like how his eyes are drawn way up in his skull. That's kind of creepy. He reminds me of Vincent D'Onofrio from Full Metal Jacket with that weird, creepy brow thing that Stanley Kubrick likes to do in all his movies. Uh, that's a, and that costume looks like a bitch to draw. I don't think <laughs> – I, I don't think he had that costume in every – I mean, he doesn't even really totally look like that on the cover either. Um, so the, I guess this is like his traveling outfit or something like that. He's got, well, he's, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's going to visit relatives. Yeah, just, well, yeah, well, you know, he's dimension hopping. You go around. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's – it, I like it. I like the colors a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I like the orange and the magenta. I think that's a nice – that's a nice look. Yeah, it's not one of my favorite of his, but it, I, I, I like it just fine, so. A lot of crisis references in the bo- sure. in the body of the paragraph. Um, I like his height is six foot eight. Good lord, what yeah, a, what a contrast! Dude. What a contrast to what the Owens would eventually become. <laughs> and then I, I never, I guess I didn't. A lot of these entries I don't remember that well from being a kid. So reading this, I I was shocked to see how tied in he was with Necron. Mm-hmm. Who at the time was kind of a 
eh, Green Lantern villain, but obviously became the big baddie in Blackest Night. Oh, yeah. So here you've got the biggest bat, the big bad in Blackest Night, and the big bad, or not the big bad, but a a major player in Crisis tied together. Makes you wonder if it's coincidence or if Jeff Johns sort of focused in on certain things. Hmm. I don't know. Good question. We can ask him one of these days. Uh, yep. Next up is Crypto the Superdog by Colleen okay. Doran. If I can interrupt you for a moment. Next up is what I like to call the beginning of the Kryptonian crazy train. Yeah. The next several pages, <laughs> folks. Uh, yeah, Crypto by Colleen Doran and Rick Mayar. Um, very, it's a cute, you know, there's not, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I like it. It's not the greatest drawing in the world. Uh, I, I find the, the floating doghouse of solitude to be... <laughs> like this concept is already ridiculous, and then they just push it even further when you see Crypto laying there on his, on his, um, you know, floating uh, house, doghouse in space. My, that's that's not her fault. No, no, of course, no, 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 not at all, not at all. My, I, I will, I will falter for having him catch an asteroid in his mouth, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my my issue with Crypto, and it, oh God, there's known relatives for the love of Pete. Um, I know. Named known relatives. With that, that's one of my notes. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, my, my issue with crypto always was, even as a kid, was they obviously could not have crypto ever pass away because that's so sad. So they just say he's, he's – uh, the current whereabouts of crypto are unknown. Because, and they didn't want crypto to constantly be around Superman. But to me, as someone who has had dogs his whole life, my dog would never not be around me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it always bothered me that like Superman had a dog out in space that like he only saw occasionally like that just bugged me i was just like that's your dog dude what are you doing like you know again i understand intellectually why but it just it just bugged me <laughs> well i thought actually those paragraphs kind of touched me because it talks about how crypto basically grew old and got sickly and you know now they did say he got rejuvenated by some weird kryptonite thing right, whatever right of course but it just i, I kind of liked it it was sort of like the dog going out to the farm to live without having to say it yeah, yeah, I know. I just, just yeah. <laughs> now from goofy, goofy Silver Age ish. You know, the, the Doghouse of Solitude is a hoot. Uh, I think that's hilarious. He, I, I like that he had an alter ego named Skip. I think that's really cute. Now, the more I read this, it. Well, yeah, I'll save that for the next one. Never mind. Uh, sorry. Did you? I, I'm surprised you didn't mention his height. Yeah. It's one of the it's one of the few heights in inches, yeah. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a half, twenty five and a half inches. <laughs> <laughs> is that him standing on his hind legs? Is that I, you know I don't understand. Uh, but yeah. Now, now this would be the only time Car- Colleen Duran draws the character, by the way. Yeah, uh, yes, sure, of course. Um, so. And she didn't do a lot of stuff for DC, so this was another one of those kind of indie. Cre- I mean, she was been doing uh, a distant soil for like thirty years now, so this is one of those people that they kind of plucked out of the non DC stable to do. A listing, which is always welcome. So. Yep. Now, next up is just Krypton, uh, art by Howard Bender and Joe. De- I don't know how you put Joe DeBito. Is that it? Del Bito. Del Bito. Okay, I'm not familiar with him. Um, the, I like how the Krypton logo is the world of Krypton logo, with the world world of, with the words world of just removed. Oh, I didn't uh, notice <laughs> it's that. The same logo. Um, yeah, this is this is Krypton, and we see all the crazy stuff on Krypton, like the glass forest, which makes no bloody sense, the ruins of ancient city of Zan, Argo City, Kryptonopolis, Kandor, and Mount Mundru, the highest peak on Krypton. I tell you, man, um, I used to think I loved the Silver Age. <laughs> 
that I'm starting to, as we go through some of these Krypton-specifically entries, I'm starting to question that belief. <laughs> Just saying. Now, Howard Bender was a good choice. He had been drawing Superboy for a, for a while, so he was definitely a good one. Interesting, there's two things I thought was interesting. There, in, in the body of the text, which is incredibly dense and quite honestly hard to read, uh, there's no mention of Candor, and there's no mention of Brainiac, uh, Shrieking Candor, or Kryptonopolis. However, in the artwork, it's almost like the artwork came back and said, oh, you know what, we didn't mention Candor <laughs> or Kryptonopolis. So they put it specifically in the artwork. So, or maybe it was intentional. I don't know, but it was just I noticed there's a contrast there. I think their flags kind of cute in a weird sort of way. Very rainbow colory. Yes, it's yeah. a Skittles Skittles flag. <laughs> Again, yeah, making me, makes me question my love of the Silver Age. This was definitely one of those ones as a kid I sort of skipped over. I was like, eh, planet, you know, whatever. <laughs> Next. Next, uh, more Kryptonite. This time it's Kryptonite. Drawn by Howard Bender and Bill Collins, and we get to see all the various forms of kryptonite and what they do. There's a green kryptonite killing Superman, red kryptonite turning him into an insect, blue kryptonite, which goes after Bizarro, white kryptonite, which I forget what that does, uh, gold kryptonite, jewel kryptonite, and then what's that other gold? There's a, some other another version of green kryptonite or something like that. Um, well, there's, there's three kinds of green kryptonite. <laughs> <clears throat> there's ordinary green kryptonite, which is like, you know what we all know. Oh, X-Kryptonite. That's what it's. X-Kryptonite. That right. That's that, Which is what gave Streaky the, her powers. <laughs> so Streaky did not come from Krypton, boys and girls. Take note of that. So Then there's Anti-Kryptonite, which is, anyway, you know what? I don't care anymore. I don't really <laughs> don't. Wow. I will there's, a, there's a typo in here. Oh, yeah? With the red Kryptonite. Um, it says here, Thus, it became the strangest type of K, each piece having a different, unpredictable effect on Kryptonians, hyphen, always the same effect on all Kryptonians. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> and who are we missing? Brenda Pope, proofreader. Uh, see? There you go. Just saying. Uh, related to my uh, in-stock trades uh, mention of the what happened, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, uh, that story also features... The, to me, single finest use of kryptonite in any story as well. Um, specifically, Superman and his use of gold kryptonite. And that's all I'll say. But that is one of the uh, finest moments uh, ever. Okay. I, always thought, I always thought kryptonite was a bit of a crutch. Like it just, there was so much of it that landed on Earth. I'm like, good Lord, how much more of it this could land on Earth? Um, and then in the 70s, they kind of got rid of it. They, they purposely scaled it back because they thought it was getting out of hand. But uh, Alan Moore uses gold kryptonite uh, in a particularly effective way in that story. But The only thing I want to mention left is the blue kryptonite. Is the blue kryptonite, what does it do? It hurts bizarros, which is so strange. Because growing up watching like the Super Friends, I thought blue kryptonite made Superman more powerful. Or brought his powers back or whatever. Hmm. So I, I was surprised. And also, who's who? Uses humor. Check this out. It says, The Man of Steel used the Bizarro Ray to create imperfect duplicates of Green K, thus coming up with something capable of destroying Bizarro Superman. And then in parentheses it says, They were grateful. <laughs> it, it's, that's Bizarro speak, for they didn't like that. It's hilarious. <laughs> well very done, little, whoever wrote that. Right, very little humor in Who's Who's. That kind of shocked me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not bad. And now we're, we're out of the Krypton section of the book, thankfully for that. Woof! Off the uh, Krypton being cr crazy train. Yeah. Next up is Kulak from All-Star Comics number two. 
drawn by my former instructor from Gilbert School, Mike Chen and Bob Woo! Smith. I feel bad. I forgot to ask Mike. Uh, we asked Mike about his uh, work a couple issues back. I forgot to ask him about this one, but I don't feel as bad because he forgot about it too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is uh, a old character took on the Spectre, not and Doctor Fate. Uh, not that much was known about him. He only gets a half page here, but he looks quite nice. It's interesting. He has three eyes across, uh, not like one in his forehead, three across. And you really can't see it in the picture of him as like, it's just the character. You can it's only so see tiny, it in the yeah. serpent. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I got to wonder, like, I don't remember this character. And yet he fought the Spectre and Dr. Fate, two of my, like, favorite, you know, <laughs> kind of characters. So, and All-Star Comics number two didn't, isn't All-Star Comics number three the first JSA issue? Yeah, I guess. So he missed it by one issue. Poor guy. Oh, poor, poor guy. <laughs> so Now, this is the only time, as far as I could tell, Michael Chen did draw the character, but he did a very nice job. It's very sharp. And uh, height and weight varies there, Rob. You missed it. <laughs> I'm trying to get off that a little, you know? I'm trying to try to do some different things. All right. <laughs> uh, the I, other... I, I'm, I'm curious to see how more often this character has appeared. I, I meant to look it up before the show, so I look forward to looking it up after. All right. The other half of the page is Kung. From Wonder Woman, a Wonder Woman villain, drawn by Dennis Cowan and Dick Giordano, who make a great team. Uh, he he looks, you know, it, there's not a lot of room here. There's a big close-up of his face, then him striking kind of a karate-type pose, and then him morphing into an animal. Uh, one of the, kind of a goofy costume, but he looks cool. I think, he said, I think Cowan and Giordano were a great art team. So, uh, I think they're, they're, you know, this makes it, this makes for a nice listing, even though it's so tiny and there's not a lot of information there. The most disappointing thing about this entry is that his logo does not actually feature his full name. Because he is actually Kung, the Assassin of a Thousand Claws. <laughs> it's like the greatest name ever. Todd Klein is like, I'm not doing all that. No. Screw you. <laughs> he had to go to lunch. He's mm-hmm. like, ah, it's fine. Done. Kung, and apparently done. Uh, he dealt with the All-Star Squadron some. Yes. Now, I'm Wonder Woman 237 is, I mean, he's a 1940s character. So, uh, this is Kung died in 1943 during a battle with the Wonder Woman, see Wonder Woman 1. However, the so-called Kratos and Infant Earths altered Wonder Woman's history. So perhaps Kung did not die after all. Mm. So, th- so this, so I mean, Wonder Woman 237, is this, there was that period where Wonder Woman was back in the 40s? Was that during Th- this point? That's exactly what I was going to ask, because I remember during, like, when the TV, sh- if I remember all this right, and nobody read Wonder Woman back then, so, you know, any, no one's really, it's anybody's guess, except for Wikipedia's. Wonder Woman definitely had a period where it was the 1940s stories, and it was also I, – I, didn't that parallel when the TV show was in the 40s? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. okay. So it could have been that she met Kung then, or I know there were backup strips with Earth 2 characters from time to time. So like Huntress had one, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Wonder Woman 1 did as well. Who knows? Hmm. I don't know. like we couldn't do any research, but you know, what the hell? It sounds like we don't care enough because it's – Bronze Age Wonder Woman. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, next up, uh, full page for Lady Chan, or how did we say Lady Chan, I guess. Uh, she Maybe was... it's jo- wait, Towns Wing. Chiang. Oh, um, well, there's no G. We'll say Chiang. All right. Uh, she first appeared in Warlord number 55, drawn by Jan Dersima. This is a very nice piece. I don't really know anything about this character, but the costume is really nice. And there's, there's lots <laughs> Take a of, drink. Yeah, there you go. Uh, she's not even in the Legion, uh, but it's a, a really nice costume. It's just a well-drawn, well-drawn uh, pinup, and I like that there's, there's lots of stuff going on there, but there's also a lot of room for it to breathe. I mean, she's got her sword out. Like I said, it's a, it's a very handsome drawing. 
Did, did you say what series she's from? Yeah, Warlord number 55. She's from Orion. <laughs> Lord of Atlantis. I know, I know, for you God's dweeb. sakes. <laughs> I love the art in this. It's absolutely beautiful. You say it makes a great pinup. Jan Durselman does a great whole run in that series, man. The Orion series looks so good. The art is great. She's hot. Um, there's a... Oh. Um, I'm starting to read the wrong entry. She is so hot, though. Anyway, nice entry, nice art. And um, now, interestingly enough... Her character was probably during the planning of Who's Who. She was going to be like an important character in in this issue because she was a lead character in Orion. But by the time this issue hit the shelves, Orion had actually been canceled. Ugh. So it just it kind of breaks my heart that you know she was done by this point, pretty much. That's a shame. She's visually yep. very compelling. Yep. Great uh, character. Yeah. Next up, Lady Lunar. Uh, art by I never knew I never knew how to pronounce this guy's name. Is it? Mugino, Muginot, Mu, Mu, I don't know. I don't know how to say his last name. I've never do, heard it pronounced. Do, have, do you know what he's done? Because I, I, I did a little research. I couldn't find any record of this guy anywhere except oh. for this drawing. Oh, no, no, no. He did a book called with Mark Evanier called DNA Agents for Eclipse. Then um, this must be misspelled. That must be the problem. Maybe so. His work has mostly been in animation. Uh, really? You, yeah, if you go to IMDb, he did animation before he ever did comics, and he did animation after he did comics. That's really most of his career. If you go to his uh, IMDb page, you'll see a bajillion credits uh, in animation. So he sort of dabbled in comic book art, and this is he, – he rarely did anything for, for DC or Marvel. So this is another one of those things where they got somebody from the world of independence to do, yeah, this, they, to do those listings. They must have misspelled it then. That's got to be what it is. Now, someone else um – did some DNA agents too in this issue. Anyway, go ahead. There was Will Blyberg also did DNA agents for for Mark Evanier's for that title as well. Uh, but anyway, this is nice. This thing I'm not really that familiar with this character. Uh, it's a nice pose, and it's you know it's the kind of artwork you didn't normally see too much in uh, DC Comics. She first appeared in as a regular person in Wonder Woman number two fifty two, and then as Lady Lunar in World's Finest number two sixty six. She made a couple of appearances. I love this this final paragraph. Tests seemed to show that the radiation which affected her was wearing off. However, Stacy's return as Lady Lunar during the so-called Crisis in Infinite Earth seems to contradict these optimistic hopes. <laughs> I love this entry. I really, really do. I think this is one of the better ones in the issue. The art, there's a, there's a lot going on. The shirt print is just full of stuff going on. The the action looks great in the front. She's got this cool sort of arcing. I mean, she really looks like she's flying, even though it's a very you know staticky sort of shot. Uh, she's just gonna say it, put it out there. She's super hot. She really is. <laughs> By the way, Doctor Midnight called. He wants his cowl back. And then uh, I, I I have a weird memory of her, and I can't figure it out. I bet you one of my gamer friends can. For some reason, I remember this character pretty well, but I've never read a comic with her. She must have been featured in a role-playing module or something. That's got to be what it is, because I remember her. I remember her look. I remember her powers. So she must have been in a role-playing module somewhere. Anyway, it's interesting to mention, like, there's a, there's a mention of a dude in here called Moon Man, who she's sort of like, her powers were almost, oh, she's almost like a female version of Moon Man is what it sounds like, but he's quickly forgotten in her write-up. Like, they talk about him, and then suddenly they know more about it. It's just all about her now. It's almost like he wasn't very popular, but she was. It's kind of what you get the sense for him. She's got a lot of history, considering she only made a couple of appearances. Yeah. I think she's pretty cool. Well, I, I'd be interested to read more. And, this again, this artwork is so, like, the, with the guys crazed in the bottom running at the camera. I mean, there's just a really nice, nice lines and very, 
very expressive. You you mm-hmm. get a lot from the drawing. Mm-hmm. And like, look at her waist. The way she's bending, you can see the way the skin is folding from the way she's bending and stuff. At right at the joint, at her hips. It's yeah. just really well done. Yeah, it's a nice pose. It's a nice pose. Very very fluid. Yep. Uh, next up is Lady Quark by George Perez. Of course, this is one of the characters from Crisis and Infinite Earths. Did we ever like? Did did Lady? Did any of those characters ever appear again after Crisis? Lady Quark and Pariah and stuff. Oh yeah, Did Harbinger they... was a regular in um, the New Guardians. Okay, that I remember. Pariah yeah. Pariah would show up every so often, just like when some when a writer thought their story was important enough, and eventually he came back around for uh, what do you call that thing? Infinite Crisis. And then Lady Lady Quark was in some. Oh, she was part of uh, Legion. You know, uh, L E G I. Ah, no I don't know anything about. It. She was part of that, and then she kind of vanished. She must have died or gone somewhere because eventually she vanished, and they kind of had to retrofit her continuity because at the end of Crisis, she literally was a paradox. Okay. One of the things to note here: two colored serpent. That's right. Nice. Co- yes. Yes. Well, this is Not a great me. drawing. It's a wonderful drawing. Uh, by by George Perez, of course, and it's interesting how much of the artwork he's leaving up to the colorist, because her costume mm. her costume is made up of red and yellow energy, but it's not doesn't have any black lines. So that is, I, I mean, I'm guessing that he probably greeked it in with pencil or blue. I'm more appropriately probably blue line pencil um, so to give an indication to maybe the colorist of where to put the color, but maybe not. So this is something. Well, that, yes. Based on I, I know I interrupted you there, but based on the stuff I've seen, wouldn't he have just drawn those bubbles on vellum? And then they would use that for the color hold? Possibly, yes, if you wanted to go to that extra effort. I mean, that, that's a lot of extra work just for that, especially if she appears in panel after panel. Because, so, yeah, George never goes for the well, detail. That's true. That's true. Well, <laughs> I, even he's got his limits, you know. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, this, it's, a, it's a very – it's a beautiful entry. And like, like uh, I just mentioned, it's a, one of the rare two-color hold, color holds. So they went the extra mile for Lady Quark. Lot of energy. You really feel the energy crackling out of her. It's mm-hmm. really nice. Now I'm always like, she's got a weird look because you know it's a real short cropped white hair. Yes. You know, in, in sort of a harsh face, and that's unusual in the superhero comic character. I always, th- I always see of her like as kind of like an Annie Lennox character. Yeah, she comes. Yes, she sort of looks like that. I mean, she clearly comes from. She's she's of a physical type that we rarely see in comics, which is an older woman. I mean, really yeah. don't really don't see very many like women in their 60s in superhero comics. So just someone who looks like that being a superhero is very unique just by itself. So And then, then they said the, your, her look with the short hair and everything else is, you know, fairly fairly unique. We never really get to see her whole her, world she, in crisis. Is she in her 60s? I always kind of thought she was like in her 40s, but just happened to have white hair, though. She looks, looks, looks older than that to me, but well, huh. I guess we'll never maybe, know. Maybe so. Never know. Ooh, Lord Volt is not in this comic, is he? No. I got, like I was saying, like we really only got to see a brief glimpse of her world in Crisis for it was all done, blown up. So Yeah. Interesting. I didn't even notice that we didn't get Lord Volt. Okay. Next up is The League of Assassins by Kyle Baker. Now, I love Kyle Baker. I have all of his books. I have, like, uh, the, the uh, Why I Hate Saturn and You Are Here, all of his independent stuff. I love his comic work. This one, he just banged it out in an afternoon. This is very weak. From Kyle Baker. All, all those Kyle Baker books you have? Yeah. What years do they? Was, is your earliest books? Uh, well, the oldest one is Why I Hate Saturn, which is from the 90s. Okay. This is, according to the, the research I did, this is one of the earliest published works that's at least been tracked on those comic book sites. Okay. 
Yeah, so, this is, this is, I mean, it's not to say he was a bad artist back then, but you're absolutely right. This is this is a oof. disappointing drawing. Yeah. Very disappointing. The posers are very boring. They're all just standing there. Uh, it's very sloppy, and I don't have a problem with sloppy artwork, but, you, you know, you kind of have to have the drawing skills to pull it off, which he does. But this one just looks it, – it just – yeah. Even the background where you do get a close-up on two characters, which is where you could really shine. Which, by the way, we didn't really talk about. In the Serpent, the idea with the, ser- the, the Serpent is that they're going to, in the background, going to show you some of what the character is about, some of their powers. It's going to show you the character with their fate, their mask off, just to give you more essence of what the character is, uh, to showcase. And this is a, it's just two guys fighting each other, and that's sketchy, too. Yeah. It's not, not impressive. Yeah. Now, I, I do like Merlin is in it. Raja Ghoul's in it. Sensei is in it. Now, by the way, uh, we'll talk about this when we get to letters column. I, ma- I made a crack last time about Sensei because all the issue- all the martial arts people in the last issue, I know what a Sensei is, guys. Totally. <laughs> I was screwing around as far as joking like there was some guy named Sensei and he taught everybody. No, I get what it means. <laughs> anyway, now there's a character reference in here called Dr. Dark. How is that guy not come back? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Dr. Ebenezer Dark. That just writes itself. I think uh, maybe this drawing might have uh, killed some of the inspiration for people wanting to bring these characters back. Uh, Yeah, like I said, I love Kyle Baker. Huge fan, but this one just, yeah, not working. In fact, he has a Joker drawing. He has actually two Joker drawings that are just two of the best Joker drawings I've ever ever seen. I had one of them on a watch that I wore for years. Yeah, and he he did the Joker entry for Who's Who later on. Like in the, one of the updates. Oh, I was going to say, we just did this. Marshall Rogers. Okay. Yeah, no, no, yeah. one of the updates. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the League, next up is League. The, Here we go. League. Welcome to Legion Town. Okay, let me get comfortable. Okay. Uh, the League <laughs> the League of Super Assassins. Woo. I never had any idea who any of these people are. They look like a bunch of doofs to me. But it was drawn by Joe Staten and Dick Giordano. They're awesome, so I'll, I'll go with it. But I, all, first of all, I'm confused. Block? He was a member of the Legion. Why is he a member of the League, League of Super Assassins? I didn't care enough to bother to even to read the entry to find out. Um, the other characters are Lazon, Mistmaster, Nutrax, Silver Slasher, and Titana. Okay. Are you done bad-mouthing Legion stuff? No. Okay. Can I talk about this entry now? Go right ahead. Okay. First off, Joe Staten... I've said before, uh, there's certain Joe Staten things that I absolutely love and certain ones I do not. This is an uninspiring drawing. And I can prove it to you by in a couple of pages when we get to the Legion of, um, Le- yeah, Legion of Supervillains and most of these same characters appear in that entry. Mm-hmm. You can see what I mean. So, yes, the League of Super Assassins was a group of bad guys. Block was a member and eventually became a Legion member out of that. You know, it's one of those neat groups where it's a bunch of diverse characters. This was a very purposefully created group of people. You've got, you know, a flying energy guy. You've got a strong guy. You've got a, you know, a density guy. You've got a smart guy. You've got all these different, you know, you got your, your tank. So it was clearly a, a fully formed group when they came about. So it's just kind of, it's, I, lo- I love those 1980s intentionally diverse groups. I think that, and this probably wasn't from the 80s. This is probably from the 70s or something. I don't know. But that just cracks me up. But again, I mean, the, the biggest thing of note, yes, is that Block started here and eventually joined the Legion. And that Joe Staten did draw the Legion at some point, so, which is why he makes a good choice for this. It's a nice drawing. I know that about it. Joe Staten. So. Uh, mm, no, no, it's not a nice drawing. That's what I'm saying. It's disappointing. It's not disappointing. All right. Okay. It is. When we get to Legion of Supervillains, you're going to flip back and forth between the pages. Yes. Gonna, oh, yes, yes, yes. 
All right. Next up, the Legion Academy, drawn by Dan Jurgens and Greg Thiesten. Uh, these ca- these are actually the characters that I the first like Legion, not the first Legion comic I've read, but the first I think solo Legion book maybe I bought or one of the early ones featured these characters. So I'm sort of like a little more familiar with them than than some others. These are basically the trainees, you know, all the guys that were you know like training to be Legion members and not quite. And you've got Laurel Kent who always had a great visual design. She's basically nude. Except for a Superman cape. Um, Shadow Kid. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, J- what is it? Jedian? Jedian Rick. Jediah. Jediah Rickane. Okay, I'm looking at a scan, so it's hard to say. Lamprey, Unknown. Nightwind, Unknown. Crystal Kid, and Comet Queen. I just have to say. How can you have two people on your team that are unknown, <laughs> that live there and train there? Like, was the Academy paperwork just not very thorough? Because, like, the rest of the Legion bureaucracy is crazy. So how somebody joins the team without having a name is blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, did any of these characters ever eventually join the Legion? Um, there are people from the Legion Academy who have. Right. For example, if you read the entry, you would have seen Chemical King, Timberwolf, Dawnstar, Magnetic Kid, and Tellus all came through the Academy. Laurel Kent was a unfortunate post-crisis victim of Millennium. She became a traitor, right? She's in man, one. Of, she's in one of she's the a issues. Man, huh? Right. She was in one of the issues that Russell sent me to, to bone up on this issue of Who's Who. And it makes no sense that the Manhunters attack in the 20th century, but there's one around in the 30th century who strikes at the same time. What? Anyway, <laughs> Comet Queen. I have seen her several times. So I want to say I don't know if she became a Legionnaire or not, but she definitely is around. Russell could definitely help us get you know work our way through this. Now, actually, you know this is this is as good a time as any for me to bring up a question. I have a question for our listeners. I am a Legion fan. Rob hates the Legion, the uh, same as the Passion of a Fiery uh, Passion of a Thousand Suns. He hates the Legion. I started with the Legion when Keith Giffen did the Five Years Later stuff, and probably about no, no, nineteen eighty nine or so, and went forward from there. So I have very little experience with pre Five Years Later Legion. So what I'd like to ask the group of our Legion listeners, write into the show and let us know what is a, a good period of time, pre that period, of Legion to read. What would be a, a good way? Is, is it just the Paul Levitt stuff? Is it just the starting with the Baxter series? Should it go back further? Give me some issue numbers and like a starting point. Don't tell me, you know, Adventure Comics, what is it, 252 or whatever where they started? No, I'm not going back. Okay. I'm talking about good Bronze Age Legion where everyone loves it because I'd like to know. So, and that would maybe help me know a little more about the Legion Academy. So, anyway, uh, it is worth mentioning also that the two trainers of the Legion uh, Academy is Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel. Yes, you see them in the background there watching their charges run off into the camera. And they're holding hands, I think, which makes me happy. I think so, yes. Very nice. or, or maybe it's on her hip. I don't know. Either way. <laughs> uh, okay. Next up is the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Drawn by this is the kapow moment of the issue right here. Wow. That's okay. Uh, this <laughs> there aren't any uh, credits here, but obviously it's drawn by Keith Giffen, probably yes, inked yes, by Bob Boxner. Um, I always did enjoy the Legion of Substitute Heroes because it was just done completely as a goof. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed every one of their appearances that they had. I, so I read their solo special, the time they appeared in DC Comics Presents. Um, I, I really did enjoy these characters because I just I like the concept of 
some of these characters are just so ridiculous. Although one of them, um, Night Girl, eventually went on to join the Legion. So, I mean, she wasn't that bad, but the rest of these characters... So, so did Polar Boy. Oh, that's right. So did Polar Boy, yeah. You've got Antenna Boy, Chlorophyll Kid, Color Kid, Double Header, Fire Lad, Infectious Lass, Night Girl, Polar Boy, Porcupine Pete, and Stone Boy. <laughs> now, it's worth mentioning, to contradict you a bit, the Legion of Substitute Heroes did not start off as a goof. No, I know that. No, I know. The, okay, well, you said their... they were always a goof. They weren't. Okay. They became a goof years later. Which I, I'm, I think is just as valid. I think it's hilarious, the, the goofiness they became. Although, looking at this entry, of all the characters here, I don't think I've ever in my life seen two-header anywhere. Double-header. <laughs> Double-header. I'm sorry. That is the most ridiculous-looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, yes, it, it started off sort of serious and then eventually became a joke. So, the art in this is gorgeous. It is a great Keith Giffen piece. The characters in this picture, I think, are bigger than just about any other character in the whole book. I mean, if you compare sizes, these guys are huge. They take the full height of the page. Mm -hmm. Big, bright, bold colors. That's why I said it's a Kapow moment. Big, bright, bold colors, huge figures, very little text, which is in keeping with the other Substitute Hero entries we've seen so far. I don't know if you remember. All the Substitute Heroes entries we've seen so far were little tiny very bit brief, of text. Very yes. In terms of uh, column space, Color Kid has gotten the greatest, uh, greatest uh, presentation in Who's Who of any DC character. Well, I, I think this is just an awesome, awesome, gorgeous, gorgeous piece. It's fun. It's fun. I love Night Girl's costume. That's a really short-looking yeah. costume. She looks great. Yeah. She looks very – She. it's sort of like when you have the nerds hanging out. and Like in the 80s movies, there's all the nerds and they've got the one pretty girl hanging out with them. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. <laughs> kind of. I like how Antenna Boy is way in the background there. <laughs> they wouldn't let him in because of his ears. Yeah. Uh, next up, here we go. Here's here's our marquee characters: the Legion of Superheroes, drawn by Greg LaRoque and Larry Malstedt. Uh I do not end. I would do not envy these guys their job trying to cram in this many characters into such a tiny space. But they did a really nice job. I think it's a. I think it's a, a, a beautiful drawing, and it's got everybody in there. But but they all are clearly represented. Uh, I yeah. It's. I think it's very well done. I it doesn't sit well with me for some reason. Like Greg, La, Greg Larock is a great artist, really is, and I've seen Larry Molstead do a lot of great inking. But for some reason, every character has sort of the same fake smile. Like if you look along the bottom, look at well, if I name these characters' names, it's probably meaningless to you. But if you look at Sunboy, Element Lad, and and Ultra, Ma, Boy. And Ultra Boy, they all look cookie cutter. I mean, they all have the exact same face with different hair. Hmm. Superboy too. They all have the same face, and it's like. I know these guys are great artists, but I don't. I feel like something went wrong here. Hmm. Almost like maybe they had to redraw it because it was too big and it got rushed. I don't know. But it, I mean, it's not. It's good. It's just not great. Which I know these guys are capable of. So it, it makes me a little sad. But now there is two things worth mentioning. Well, it's a lot of things, but two things specifically I was thinking about. Is one, their their history is incredibly brief. I mean, it's ridiculously brief. Uh, which leads me to think it might have been better to do to give the Legion three pages and to do this as the centerfold and then just do a third page that's all text. You know, mm. because I just to me, you know, these characters have been in multiple series over three decades, and they get three paragraphs, and that's it. I just feel like they need a little more history than that. It probably would have been smarter to sacrifice all the heads. Maybe. And keep it to two pages. Maybe. Although they, I love the heads, yeah. don't get me wrong. But if you think about Justice League, Justice League did not do the heads so that they had enough room for all that text. 
So uh, that may have been the smarter way to go. I, the, also, having so, such short um, text, I mean, almost, I think every single one of these characters have their own entry. Yes. In who's who. Yes. So it's almost like, eh, it's not necessarily, you don't necessarily need it. Because you've Wait, got all that. what do you that. mean the Justice League didn't do all the heads? Did they? Oh, yes. they did do the heads, didn't they? Yeah, you know how I can tell? Because I'm looking on a site called Firestorm Fan that featured the uh, thing. <laughs> and I see all their heads right there. I, I, you may not have heard of the site, but it's really kind of interesting. It looks like a great looking site. Yeah. It's a shame that some guy posts stuff at two in the morning though and doesn't remember what he did. <laughs> I'm going to officially you're gonna to have to officially take back you making fun of me for not preparing <laughs> probably. The one thing I other thing I will mention about this list hey, I prepared for this issue, okay. not the last issue. The other thing I will mention that, that is a little bit of a cheat, and I know that the editors who's who were in a bind, is that here they have Projectra and Sensor Girl as two different characters. And they were not. They were the same person. Had it been revealed? But they hadn't revealed it yet. So I think they were in a bind of like, well, do we not reveal it? You know, do we not reveal it and cheat? Or do we, do we only have one of the characters and that would tip it? So they clearly chose to just cheat a little and show them both, even though they are the same person. Well, I'm glad they did. Because when they, when they reveal stuff in a book like this, that sucks. That happened in uh, right. one of the you know, those DK Ultimate Guides. Mm-hmm. They did a DK Ultimate Guide to like the Avengers or something like that. And they revealed that uh, uh, a character, uh, Ronin, was Echo. And it was like, ah, what? No, I don't, what? It's a big secret. What are you doing? You know, I'm so mad. <laughs> now, I, there's a couple other things I want to note on here. First of all, I, I, I did sound a little disappointed about the faces, but I, I should just say it is still a very exciting image. I mean, all the, all the legions coming at you. They've all got such diverse, great costumes. Every time I look at this drawing, I see somebody else in the background. I'm like, oh, that's such a nice little touch. Oh, look at Dawnstar. That's so cool. You know, or whatever. It's really nice piece. So, I mean, I, I do like that. So, it just the faces threw me a little bit. So, I don't mean to sound so negative about it. I do like in the body of the text, it says here that there are presently 24 active members of what is unquestionably the most powerful team in the DC universe. Whoa. Wow. I'm not buying that, though. That's a bold... Well, I mean, it's probably true. No. But that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, who's more powerful? Justice Society. No. You're kidding. I am not kidding. They've got Spectre and Dr. Fate on the team. But they're never there. But they... No. Okay, well then, you can't count the Spectre. Because he doesn't... Because that's a cheat. Is he in the listing? So, oh, well, Final Phantom Strangers is in Justice League, and he's crazy powerful, too. Nobody is more powerful. No. Oh, you're being ridiculous. Okay. You're being... You're focusing on a one character. He takes six... Yes, because he can do anything. We're, we're having a nerd fight, okay? I'm about to throw my pocket protector at you. <laughs> I just want to say. Anyway, uh, one of the things that's always bugged me about the Legion was that you had to have unique powers to join. And when we get to another character, we'll talk about that a little more. But that, they mention it in here, and that just bugged the crap out of me. Like, no one could have the same two powers, which is redunculous. Anyway. Um, also worth noting on the little heads, I love Matter Eater Lad is chewing. I just was about to say that myself. <laughs> That's a nice touch. I think Telus looks really cool. I just he's a cool looking dude. Sensor Girl has probably my favorite mask, favorite sort of head shot of any character on most superhero teams. She just looks really cool mm-hmm. with that vertical red and white stripe. Looks really nice. And I think it's funny that of all the headshots, they felt it was important that Karate Kid have that um, dog surgery collar. Right? Oh, <laughs> cone. 
<laughs> so, in his head, shot. <laughs> all right. I think that's all I got. Okay. It's, it's a fun entry, and it is, without a doubt, the marquee of the book. So, And now I'm looking forward to everyone writing in and telling me what Bronze Age Legion are reading. I'm going to start reading some. Okay. Uh, next up, Legion of Superheroes Headquarters. By Keith Giffen and Larry Malstead, which is two two thirds of a double page spread. Uh, this is an incredibly dense drawing, and I don't think even after all those years, I've bothered to read all those captions. I'm pretty sure this was published somewhere else, because if you look at it, several of the little bits and bobs have asterisks. There's like one asterisk and two asterisks, and the asterisks go nowhere. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and also another thing says, look at the detailed drawings for more something else. That there's no more other drawings. So I think this came from either came from something else or was intended to go with something else. I'll have to dig through my Legion Treasury editions. This seems like the kind of thing they would stick in the Legion Treasury edition. They did a couple that would of make, them. That would make sense. There's some weird, interesting stuff in here. Like there's uh, one area where it talks about this techno thing that was uh, techno repair center equipment, blah, 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 blah. Allegedly programmed by Lightning Lad and frequently mistaken for an offshoot of the repair center. Allegedly? What? It, that's got to be a, something to do with a particular story. Another one says, talks about <laughs> in, a, in case of disaster, but it says in case of, parentheses, frequent disaster. <laughs> and another one talks about how the, you know, this one floor is close to Brainy's laboratory, so it's the most undesirable floor in the Legion headquarters because something always goes wrong there. And finally, it talks about people's rooms, and it says Superboy's room is rarely used. Sort of makes sense. And then it says Supergirl's room is rarely used. And then I started thinking, is that because she's not there that often or because she's over in Brainiac's room doing the, doing the Beast of Two Backs, I wonder? Oh, my hmm. goodness. I'm just saying. Okay. Next up. <laughs> oh, hey, props to Keith Giffen for doing a technical drawing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oof, it could not have I been. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really impressive. I, I, I do enjoy the Legion's uh, bizarrely out-of-date logo that they used for the headquarters. Uh, if I'm any judge of logos, I think that is from the briefly running Legion of Superheroes reprint book that ran in the very early 70s that ran for like three issues. And they got a different logo. I think that's what it's from. Well, I was guessing, because remember the Justice League of America, they, the entry for JLA used the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo, but then the JLA headquarters used the classic, you know, sort of block-lettered 60s logo. Mm-hmm. So my guess here is that some, probably something similar. Right. Well, like I said, the reprint book is from the early 70s, so we're close to that. Was that the first Legion series, I guess? That is the first, that was the first Legion series but of, under their own name. Gotcha. And it was a reprint book because DC was flooding the market with reprint books in the early 70s. I think it lasted like four issues or something like that. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, next. Uh, well, in the, in sharing this double-page spread but only taking up a third of it is the Legion of Super Pets, drawn by Kurt Swan and Bob Smith. And, of course, that's Crypto, the dog, Comet the horse, Streaky the cat, Beppo the monkey, and uh, what is it? and Prody, who is taking the form of Chameleon Boy uh, there. Uh, um, I think I think it's a moment we need to um, take a moment to recognize uh, Hoppy, the Super Cricket, who's uh, joining us on the podcast tonight. <laughs> Oddly, Hoppy goes quiet at this exact moment. Thanks, Hoppy. He's got a little cape on and everything. There he is. Uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about the Legion of Super Pets. <laughs> I, I like to think that the Kryptonian version of Peta was was closing in on Jor-El right before the destruction of Krypton, for sending a monkey and a dog into space. I'm just saying, you know. Both the horse and the cat did not come from Krypton. 
by the way, just so you no, know. Right. But Dog and the Monkey definitely came from Krypton. So I think Jor-El was, I think they were watching him. They were giving him the stink eye. So. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and by the way, did I mention um, entries like this make me question whether I really love the Silver yes. Ranger or not? Yeah, I think you stated that earlier in the show. <laughs> just reiterating it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, our final Legion proper entry. There's more characters to come, of course. The Legion of Supervillains, drawn by, penciled and inked by Steve Lytle. This Woo! this might be the best piece in the book. It is without a doubt the best Legion entry, no doubt I mean, about it, that. I, first of all, I mean, the, just the artwork itself is beautiful, and the staging of it is particularly good because you've got a, an incredible depth of field here. Uh, you've got Sun Emperor right in the foreground, way closer than anybody else. And then you've got people way in the back, some people in the middle ground. It is a really great, great, wonderfully staged piece. Uh, some of these villains are incredibly doofy looking. Uh, I mean, that guy with the ponytail, uh, with, the, with the pigtails, that is, that is, that is rough going. Hunter. Hunter. Hunter, that Hunter is, of the pigtails. That is rough going. This <laughs> is like Pippi Longstocking crossed with Deathstroke uh, or something. But then you've got, uh, of course, you've got Tear in the background, the only guy here to have his own action figure, which I'm sure he reminded everybody of. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like that guy Terrace, who was just like that creepy skull. I enjoy that. He looks like the Scarecrow. That's kind of an odd look. Uh, and then you've got that. What's the? Who's the the, the bald guy that is just standing there? Which guy the, is that? The one with the big neck collar. Yeah. Which which guy is that? That's Tarek the Mute. Oh, Tarek the Mute. Okay. Of course. Oh, there he is. Okay, Tarek the Mute. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a really, really great drawing. Re- well done, Steve Lytle. It is absolutely breathtaking. It's a really, really, really sharp piece. Now. This is where I was talking about if you go back to the League of Super Villain, uh, Super whatever, the Assassins, and if you look at these two pages at the same time, and you look at the drawing of Titania, and you look at the drawing of Nurtrax, and you look at the Silver Slasher, and you look at Lazon, you can clearly see the, the love and attention that someone like Steve Lytle can give to these goofy looking characters, and just shows, wow, these characters can be viable in the right hands. Yeah, it's now, yeah, it's it's a beaut- yeah, yeah, they look they look fantastic. One of the things I really like to do was I would uh, this is when I was when I was learning about the Legion. Cuz let me tell you, these issues I poured, I think I've talked about this on Who's Who before, I apologize for repeating it, but I poured over these issues when I started reading the Legion in 1989. Because the Legion then uh, the, the the 5 years later, every character was referred to by their real name, not their superhero name. So, like, you'd be talking to um, Cosmic Boy, but they never call him. They call him Rock, Rock Crin. So, like, who the hell's Rock Crin? What is that? So, I went through literally every single entry in Husu and made all these lists. And uh, all my and a big section of my list was dedicated to the Legion. And so, I would love to sit here and look at the Legion Supervillains page, go back and forth between this and the Legion Superheroes page, because I loved seeing things like instead of Chameleon Boy, you had Chameleon Chief. Instead of Cosmic Boy, you had Cosmic King. You know, it's it. There were little parallels for everyone. You had some people that had went lad to lord, girl to queen, boy to emperor. It's just they were just. I loved that kind of stuff. So cool. I Very. do enjoy uh, Radiation Roy. That is, I know. That Isn't is, that an awesome name? <laughs> that sounds like a, a mascot from like a uh, some sort of fast food franchise, but yet it's related to like nuclear energy or something. Like, <laughs> you know, they're, they were trying to like. It's like the kind of character you would create to sell a neighborhood to take their to take a nuclear plant. 
You know, and you're like, hi, I'm Radiation Roy, kids. And there's like an animated cartoon and, you know, it's all about the positive effects of nuclear radiation. You can keep it safe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I like the look of, uh, I don't know how you say it, Zimir, which is just the, the little floating globule. Yeah, so it's like a floating ball with a weird, yeah. you know, under aquatic creature in there. there yeah. Oh, yeah, any, it looks you, really cool. you have any comments about Esperlas? Where is she? Uh, bottom right. I mean, she's hot. Is that there, what you're that's at? what I was hoping for, yeah. Well, so is Titania. So is Saturn Queen. So is the spider chick. Who's the spider girl? Oh, Spider Girl. That's her name. Spider Girl. <laughs> so, yeah, all of those. I don't uh, know. Steve, Lytle know, Steve Lytle knows how to draw a beautiful woman. No and, doubt about that. And Hunter is just adorable. He, you know, it's not, it's not Deathstroke and... Um, it's Craven the Hunter mixed with Pippi Longstocking. It's Craven the Hunter mixed with Pippi Longstocking. That's what it is. <laughs> he could probably kick my ass, I'm sure. So, uh, Okay, now we're out of Legion country temporarily. Uh, we're up to Liberty Bell, drawn by Mitch woo, Shower woo. and Dick Giordano. Uh, a lot, of, lot going on here. Close-up of her face without the mask on, although that's hardly a difference there. She's only got the little domino mask. And she's looking tough with her little – she's ready to punch somebody. Uh, this is, you know, a character that was pretty much altogether forgotten, but until Roy Thomas brought her back and made her a main character in All-Star Squadron. Her first appearance is way back in the 1940s in Boy Commandos number 1. woo that I am in love with the artwork on this page. As far as artwork goes, actually, this is a really nice balance of artwork and text. You get a lot of art. The character's really big. Bold lines. You get nice imagery. If, if the text had included just a little bit about her personality, I would say this is a perfect example of, a, of how who's who entry should be done right. I, I, I'm in, I love it that much. Right. I really wow. do. Okay. Uh, again, the only thing missing is you don't get a sense for her personality. Other than that, everything else is right. The powers, the description of her, the, the family, everything is just done so well. Now, you know, again, she, you didn't mention a, a height thing. She's five six and a half. That's kind of weird to put that in there. Just thought you'd like that. Again, I'm trying to get away from that. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the logo. It looks so throwback with mm-hmm. all the st- with the stars in it, but it's just fun. Now, here's the name I was looking for. Okay, Mitch Shower, however you say that. Yeah. He he was also known for doing DNA. Oh, Jenny? Okay, okay. So that that's where he kind of because I didn't know that name at all, and that's kind of where he's known for. So really nice all the way around. I'm I'm, I'm I love this thing. Yeah. Mm. Now I have a crush on Liberty Bell. That might be I might be a little biased. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a nice drawing. All it's all together, all around. And then we don't know what happened to her past 1947, according to this. List. Well, we do now. We do now. Her and Johnny Quick got married. They yeah. have a kid. They got divorced. That's so sad. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're back to Legion Country with Lightning Lad, drawn by Dave Cockrum. <laughs> uh, Legion, Country. Legion Country. I imagine like dun 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 dun. Showing a good cigarette. Lightning Lad's got a creepy smile. He just does. I think that surprint of him in the background, he looks good. He's got a creepy smile. Uh, it's, it's put me off a little. Okay, that is sort of a, uh, uh, that is a bit of a date rape smile. I'll give you that. Oh, okay. Jeez. Well, what the hell else is it going to be? I, you could just use the word creepy like I did. You didn't have to go that far. Euphemism, lad. <laughs> He's a member of the Legion, too, I'm sure. Uh, I, I don't have much to say about Lightning Lad. <laughs> Tell me about the costume design. It's very nice. Dave Cockrum is one of our best superhero costume designers. You can, so he, he seemed to never run out of ideas on how to design costumes because, of course, he did costumes for Legion and X-Men. 
So the guy was a fountain for that stuff. He really was. Now, I don't know if this is one of his costumes, because Legion, Lightning Lad has had quite a few. I don't know if this is one of his, but it's so well done, I got to assume it was. It's a great, great looking costume. Mm-hmm. And Dave Cockrum, you, you, I love his stuff, you know? He, he, it may have been served better with a different inker, you know, not inking his own stuff at this point. But I think it still looks great. Now, I never personally took to this character very much. And I, I may have talked about this before on the show, too. I don't know. But Lightning Lad, even though he's one of the core members of the Legion, it was never a character that I glommed onto. He has kind of a really rough past. I mean, he died. He got better. He lost his arm. He got married. They had a child who was turned into a supervillain. You know, he's kicked out of the Legion because of bureaucracy. Just all kinds of <laughs> crap. Oh, wait. Their son is Validus. That, that weird Correct. guy. Yes. Yes. So... Good, good entry for a character I'm not too hot on. Okay. Uh, I just ticked off all the Legion fans. Yeah, okay. More Lightning. We've got Lightning Lass, art by June Brigman and Roy Richardson. I love this entry. I think this is, she's got a very nice style, and this is I really like this entry. It's an interesting pose. She's sort of tilting over to the side there, but I love the close-up of her with her short crop hair and the uh, collar. I think it's a really, really nice piece. In fact, I think kind of like her visually more than I like Lightning Lad. Really? Meaning costume or the artwork? Uh, both. I think his costume's stronger, but I think the art's better on this page. Uh, June Bergham does a really nice job here. And I, I always liked her on Power Pack. That's kind of where I fell oh, Right, right, right. She did Power Pack. That's right. Really good. And uh, you're right. I mean, not only is the artwork good, she makes the girl look really hot in this drawing. Yeah. I'm telling you. I like, the, I like the explosion in the back, which is, you know, where she's all in shadow and the explosion's really bright. That's a nice, nice effect on the serpent. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, Light Lass is the victim of some redunculous Legion history. Uh, again, this bureaucracy crap. This is where I was leading up to earlier about people with two powers. Lightning Lad and Lightning Lass could not be in the Legion at the same time because they both have the same powers. Because apparently having two lightning people is a bad idea. Because, you know, you don't want to beat up bad guys or anything, I suppose. I'm just saying it's, it's stupid. So what they did was they changed her power. She went from being Lightning Lass to Light Lass. She had the ability to make things way less. Oh, I sent her over to my house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't make you any more svelte. You just weigh less, my friend. Oh, I see. oh, okay, all right. Oh, god, I'm the same thing. Now, speaking of weighing less, she is six foot tall, weighs 130 pounds. That is skinny. Maybe her power is affecting her. That her is old power. that is majorly that is model thin. So you know, good yeah. on you, honey. Jeez, she's got some Kate Moss going on. Yeah. Whew. Jeez. Still, great-looking drawing. Yeah, very, very nice. Uh, the third of our Lightning characters. Well, they're all brothers and sisters. Right, right, right. Uh, Lightning Lord, drawn by Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin was, I thought, very good at drawing creepy-looking people, really angry-looking guys, and that's what he's doing here. Great serpent. The blue really was a good choice for this serpent because it's just really strong and it makes good shadows out of it. It looks great. Now, he, he's, uh, he's the villain of the family. So as you said, really good with the creepiness, and, and Starlin. I didn't. I didn't realize Starlin had drawn some Legion. So I had to do some research on that. And sure enough, he did. Also, I like that uh, they, they brought the twin stuff into this. If you read his origin, there's some stuff where he was uh, he was one of the few people born on their planet that was not a twin, which gave him a lot of issues. So I thought that was kind of a nice sci-fi element in the storyline. It was kind of cool. So neat, neat piece. Yeah, I, I like his costume too for some reason. It's very Christmassy. <laughs> I guess you could say that. 
Uh, all right. Next up is Light Ray, drawn by Jack Kirby, that guy who appears too much in Who's Who for M's liking. Uh, <laughs> inked by Greg Thiesten. Thiesten. Uh, very nice drawing. Not you know, nice big airy. You know, lots of space. Uh, he was always one of the more upbeat characters of the New Gods. I mean, considering how miserable everybody was over there. Uh, but his base of vibrations is Supertown, which is which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, and wasn't he one of one of the characters that we was in a projected fourth wave for superpowers? Was he? Wasn't he one of the drawings that we saw? I can't testify to that, but I think you're right. I, I think so. so. Yeah. yeah, he's got a nice costume. It's red, white, and yellow, mostly white actually, and a uh, nice little Firestorm-esque headpiece. How? Uh, and I love the logo. Very nice logo. It is a really well done costume. Yeah. I mean, Jack really designed that one. Sure, I like it. it's it's simple, but it's effective. It's they no one's really changed it much over the years because no, it works no. so well. Yeah. Now I, I love. There's a bit in here that cracks me up. Uh, it talks about. When they were children, Orion, Light Ray, and their friend Mitron were went off and they were, investi- were investigating a hole in the planet. So I just love this idea of like Lil Lil Light Ray, <laughs> Lil Orion, Little Mitron with their Lil Mother box, almost like a Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. You know, like do 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 do. You know, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Calabac pulls away the football or you know something something silly. You know, or whatever. And it's just I love that idea. I want to see that drawn now. Little Mitron flew around in a high chair instead of that big chair that he normally. Oh, that's friggin' genius. We we're publishing this. We're going to make a mint. It's like that. What is that little comic? JL8? Is that what it's called? The little one where it's all the Justice League members, but they're oh, in like yeah. elementary oh, yeah, school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm blanking on the name of that thing. Yeah, yeah. I, think it, I think it's just JL and the number eight. I could be wrong, but that's kind of, that's, that's why I see this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very nice drawing. Very, very nice. Uh, next up is Lilith, drawn by George Perez. And George did something a little different. He went with a more, des- I mean, not, not that his pieces aren't designy, they are, but this one he puts everything into a circular circular background behind Lilith, all of her history. And uh, it has to, it makes everything, you know, there is a kind of a lot of dead space, but he fits a lot in and it looks really nice. Her hair is spilling out of the side. Um, I mean, visually she's not that compelling a character because she's not in costume, but uh, it's really, really nice drawing. I mean, of course it is. This is George Price drawing. Well, I imagine it was originally intended to go the full width of the page. Because this is a much smaller entry than most of his are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine he expected it to have a little more room to play with. It yeah, would have been about – yeah, like if you, if, you, if you made this bigger, it would take up almost right. exactly half a page. Fill the width of the page, yeah. Exactly. And so you'd have about half a page. But apparently they felt it necessary to put a lot of history for the character, which caused the art to shrink. Yeah. Um, I don't like this character. Okay. I just – I mean, she's a hot redhead. You know, props to that. But I, part of it is I, my desperate hatred for mental powers in characters. I just cannot – I very rarely enjoy that. She has a way overly complex origin. She became a goddess or something. It's her occupation. And, right. But then she came back later. I want to say she was Leanne Harper's babysitter at one point, if I remember right. Anyway, I'm just going to focus on the hot redhead part and <laughs> okay. leave, it at, leave it at that. You've got a former own super team of Cinnamon, Lilith, Hawker, Albira. That'd be a great book. <laughs> we'll come up with a few more. There's, there's quite a few more. Yeah, there's quite a few more. Uh, yeah, as I said, a nice drawing. The history didn't interest me too terribly much, but nice drawing. Again, of course, it's George Press. 
Yeah, I mean, the art's gorgeous. There's yeah. no fault. There's no fault in the art, obviously. Uh, next up, another half page, two characters. We've got Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys, <laughs> drawn by Stephen DiStefano, who, I should point out, has a story in my book, Hey Kids Comics, and uh, inked by Bob Smith. They were, the Little Boy Blue were these little kind of boy adventurer guys. They first appeared in Sensation Comics number one, which is, you know, a bit of a significant uh, book in, in comic book publishing history. So, uh, and... Isn't that the first appearance of Wonder Woman? It, it, well, it's uh, tech, I don't know what the Overstreet Guide considers it because that came out the same month as All Star Comics number three, which also features the first appearance of Wonder Woman. So every time I've ever seen her listed, it says All Star Comics number three. That's what? Yes. That no. Yeah. No, 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 no. What is with that weird voice you're doing? Well, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's cl- you know what? Dan Mishkin just came online. I'm going to ask him. Hold on. <laughs> Literally, just came online Skype. I'm going to ask him. All right, maybe I'm not. But no, you're not going to do any such thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> he really did, though. And I just thought that was kind of ironic that we're debating Wonder Woman. He comes, he shows up. Anyway, so, but it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, All-Star Comics was you take everyone who's got a hot strip and put them in there, not you appear first in All-Star Comics. So it has to be that Sensation Comics, whether which one hit the shelf first doesn't – it, Sensation Comics is where she premiered and then she happened to appear in All-Star. If one happened to hit the shelf a week earlier, so what? Okay. Okay. I'm just that saying. That just makes me mad. No, man. Apparently, yeah. You're very, very upset about this. I don't know. But back to Little Boy Blue and quite possibly like one of the cutest drawings ever in Who's Who. Yes. It's absolutely adorable. Yeah. And drawn by Stephen DiStefano who did Amazing Man, of course. So they also – and by the way, I should uh, – you know what? Hold on. I'm all I'm all bass backwards. I didn't mean to say All Star Comics number three. I meant to say All Star Comics number eight. That's where she first appeared. It was number eight. But Again, All Star Comics number three is the beginning of the JSA, not Wonder Woman. But I was going to say I don't remember her at the first meeting. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm sorry. Number eight, not number three. Jeez. Regardless, Sensation Comics number one is where she really first. Okay, appeared. all right, fair enough. I uh, love that they. You see what city they live in? Big city. Big city. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we have eventually a girl named Jamie who disguised herself with a red wig, became their alley under the name Little Miss Redhead. So that is right over the plate for us. It kind of worries me, though, because she's probably like seven years old, but they've tried to like little almost sexualize her, which yeah. freaks me out a little. <laughs> it was more innocent time, you know, the Holocaust and things like that. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> was, uh, do, you know, do you know many issues of Sensational Comics these guys appeared in? Oh, it talks about the Little Miss Redhead first appeared in Sensation Comics number 72. There were like 80 issues of Sensation Comics, dude. <laughs> they had That's a good insane. run. They had a good run. They had a really good run. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cute entry. This was clearly uh, DC feeling expansive and, you know, giving a listing to some characters who probably had not appeared for three decades previously. And and then they got like a current artist to do it. So I thought that was really, really cool. That it's a, it's a nice, cute little entry. And you probably you know couldn't have supported a whole page, but I'm glad they got half of one at least. I wonder from like an administrative point of view – if, like, entries like this came about because they're like, all right, we want to give Little Cheese an entry, which, by the way, is the next character. We want to give Little Cheese an entry, but he only deserves half a page. We need to put someone before him. Well, alpha- alphabetically, you know, Lilith comes before her. Well, she needs a full page. Mm-hmm. Find somebody Fine. alphabetically between <laughs> Lilith and Little Cheese and stick them in there, all right? You know, you can just see Len yelling at somebody. And, uh, you know, Bob Greenberger goes back to the archives and finds Little Boy Blue or something like that. I, I wonder if that's how it came about. At some point along the line, we will have to ask... Bob and Lynn and Marv these questions because we really absolutely stuff out. So, uh, the other half of the page, as Shake said, is Little Cheese from Captain Carrot. Somewhere I can hear Sean Corey getting all excited. 
Uh, he first appeared <laughs> in Captain Carrot number 12, which was, I think, is he like the only hero that appeared later on in the series? I think he's the only regular team member. The only, that's what I meant, the only team member. The only one that joined later on. Uh, drawn by Scott Shaw, of course, who was doing... The With an exclamation point. Exclamation point. Who's doing, who's doing the uh, Captain Carrot book. You know, it's a, it's a very nice drawing of a mouse with a costume on. You know what's weird? Is that Scott Shaw didn't do the Oz Wonderland War. I didn't No, he didn't. Weird. <laughs> well, I, I love the pun relatives. Like, he's got uh, an aunt named Cheddar Cheese. <laughs> now, I don't get Dr. Adam Cheese. i got to be missing some joke there that I don't get. Yeah, I don't get that one either. There's probably something there I'm just not getting. Anyway, do you notice his, like, height and weight and all that? He's 2.4 as little cheese, 4 feet, or 2.4 inches as little cheese, <laughs> 4 inches. Weight, 39 pounds as little cheese, 1.5 pounds. Again, right up your alley. Yeah, and his hair is red as well. <laughs> He's adorable. He can be on that team that we're putting together. Uh, next, up, next up is our marquee character, as I have now declared it, Lois Lane. Well, what? Drawn by... <laughs> Drawn by Bob Boxner. Uh, you know, it's Lois Lane, one of the most famous combo characters ever created. Uh, you know, that you see the close-up of her smooching Superman. Another nice close-up of her, just by herself. Her doing some reporting with a computer. And then her, uh, <laughs> which has over 12K of RAM. And then there's her uh, smacking the crap out of a bad guy with a karate chop to the back of the neck. Uh, for the record, I think there were 16K computers. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Well, they talk about that she has a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, she has contacts who help her in this, notably a man named Weezer who hangs out at a dive called Maggie's. She's respected by the police, including, including Inspector William Henderson, though he often objects to the risks she takes. <laughs> I mean, look, she deserves it. I mean, this is this character had her own title for like twenty years. Yeah, so she absolutely deserves her own listing, and you know, I think she is like the is she the only technically supporting character that got her own listing? I don't know if she's the only, but up to this point, she's the only one that got a entry without having some superhero alter Right, right, identity. like the outsider, yeah, whatever, Jimmy Olsen Ex- and stuff like Jimmy that. Jimmy Olsen, exactly, all that nonsense. So, yeah, she's the first one so far. Yeah, now we may get some more later, I don't know. I, I was very excited to see this entry. In fact, my notes just has a big, yes! Um... <laughs> Bob Oscar, apparently, I guess he drew some of the Lois's series. Yes, which he did. Makes sense why he did so. Yes, he did. My, my biggest thing with this, I love the art. The art looks great. It's that I love the black haired, you know, late 70s, early 80s Lois. I think she looks cool. But the text is upsetting to me because almost every paragraph, Lois is defined by her relationship to Superman. Mm. It's like, there's, there's, like, even in the earliest stuff about her as a kid, it's almost like. They can't talk about it without somehow dragging Superman into the paragraph. And it's like, you know what? I don't need to know that Clark was at camp with her. I want to hear about her experiences with her military dad, you know, being a brat kid, mm-hmm. you know, so or and all that stuff. And I mean, my military brat is what I meant. So, I don't know. I, I, that kind of bothered me that they brought so much Superman into it because she's a strong enough character to stand without him. One of the interesting things in pre-crisis Lois versus post-crisis Lois, as you read through this, Lois fell in love with Superman. Where in post-crisis, Lois fell in love with Clark Kent. Oh, that's right. There's a very distinct uh, difference there. And for me, personally, I prefer the post-crisis idea of that. But still, it's just it's worth noting here. I love this one bit, though. It says, at one time, Lois's curiosity led her to try and discover Superman's secret identity. You know what I call that one time? 
<laughs> I call that one time the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, one time. Yeah, they're, they're exactly. being – they have uh, th- this entry uh, causes a bit of a kerfuffle later on down the line where somebody writes in and gets mad at DC for not mentioning that under powers of weapons she knows the karate she knows the Kryptonian form of karate known as kuklor <laughs> and, and the DC the, the, the DC have to point out that uh, that's just sort of been washed away now she doesn't need to, <laughs> she, she doesn't need it says, to know. She, it says she's skilled in judo and karate, right? But she doesn't know kuklor here as a uh, kuklor flan and ollie and stuff. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. This that something that John Byrne thankfully washed away with its continuity. So a lot of the, a lot of this got washed away by John Byrne. Actually, yes, so. yes. But it's a very nice drawing, a beautiful drawing, well colored. I like her purple outfit and then the blue color yeah. hold. Really nice overall. So. One of the last times we'll see this. Uh, this. Black raven-haired Lois, because she becomes a brown-haired Lois, you know, and pretty quick here. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, you should, is, you should get used to saying that. Next up is Luke Looker by, uh, of course, Jim Aparo. Yay! Uh, who first appeared in Outsiders number one? Much like Little Cheese, she was like the only new member of a team that kind of came along later. Uh, she is five ten and one fifteen. But that makes sense because she is actually a professional model in her regular life. So, of course, she is anorexic thin. We see her using her powers. We see a close-up. There's a, another close-up of her in her previous life where she became a quote-unquote looker. Uh, you know, not one of Jim Aparo's best, but, but not bad. Not bad. The costume is tough to take a little bit. That's not I, how much that is. It is full. I hate everything about this character. <laughs> everything about this character. Her costume is ridiculous. It looks like um, like my daughter buys my daughter's seven. She likes to buy different things like dress up Barbie stuff. And sometimes like you get these uh, paper construction build a build a Barbie costume sort sure, of thing, sure, yeah. like fifty different parts, and you construct your your dress. And if you don't use the matching parts, it looks insane. That's what this looks like. It looks like someone used a bunch of mishmash parts to put together the costume, which may be intentional. It may be like this plain Jane girl, this is her idea of what a hot costume would be. If it had said that, I could have gotten on board with it, but no, it doesn't say that. And the whole idea that it's a plain Jane girl and she turns into this hot chick, it's sort of living a fantasy thing, whereas like, it should be more of a tragic story to me. It's just oh, there's so many. Yeah, this she's got, this she's got mental powers. I, even the red hair doesn't save her. I just I can't stand. Yeah, this, this, this character is not winning any uh, winning any awards for for you know um, what, what's what's the word I'm thinking of? like uh, Ms. Magazine awards for you know feminism, great, feminism, great great forward strides in feminism. So right, you know, and you know what happened to the character later on down the line, right? No, I don't. Speaking of vampire. All right, let's move on. For God's sake. <laughs> Thank you. Ridiculous. All right, let's just go. Okay, uh, Mike Chen is back. I can't believe I forgot to ask about this one, too. Jeez, Lord of Time. Uh, one of the classic Justice League villains, the Lord of Time. He's standing there looking very proud of himself. I love the shot in the back. I'm sorry, it's uh, by Mike Chen and inked by Greg Theakston. I love the surprint in the background of the entire JLA flying at him, and he's just standing there looking confident. I love that drawing. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I like the close-up of his face. He's almost identical to the forefront of him. Yeah, but he's just a little rah. And that's a great-looking pose. He just looks so good. It's a great drawing. Yeah, um, he also appeared He appeared in a late-period issue of Justice League, uh, mm-hmm. the Detroit era, where we see him actually living in the future. 
and he's this little hobbled old man, and we see that in the background there. We see uh, him looking like Sensei, actually, there. <laughs> uh, but it, just, it, it had just happened. Right, yeah, they just published that. So I thought that was kind of a fun thing. That they, you know, we saw a guy who can travel through time, and then he's just decided to live in this one area and stay there and sort of just grow old. It's so sad, the story, though. He has to go it back is. in time, and he eradicates his son, six sons from ever existing. It's yeah. like, ah! <laughs> uh, yeah, the Lord of Time was always not one of my favorite JLA villains, but but he did get a lot of fun storylines. Like, he he was the villain behind that two-parter featuring the JLA and the Western characters from JLA 188 and 199. And that was supposed to be, and I quote, the most crushing and total defeat of the JLA and Justice Society. It didn't quite, <laughs> didn't quite work out that way. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you know, nice entry. Nice entry. Yep. Uh, next up is Lord Satanus by Kurt Swan and Bob Smith, who has got a whole lot of Darth Vader in there, I would say. Uh, actually, I would say, ring, ring, Magneto's calling. He wants his helmet back. <laughs> it's a little bit of both, actually. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, Kurt Swan... Uh, he, he drew this character, though. To be fair, he was drawing action at the time this character was around. Right. No, so no, no. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the right choice. Yeah. And the entry. Did you actually take the time to read the entry? Uh, <laughs> Heaven forbid you should prepare for the episode. Anyway, it's painful. It is literally. Like, it, uh, he had only appeared in like six or seven comics at this point. All like in a run. It was like one big run of action comics he was in up to this point. This is literally. Blow by blow, what happened in those comics? It is like, and then they did this, and then they did this, and then they went to the store and they bought some milk and some cereal and some celery and some yogurt, and then they went to the checkout line and they paid for the groceries. I mean, it's literally telling you the story of those issues. Like, oh my gosh, uh, Lynn, we let his kid write this one or something. I, it's oh my, oh, it's so painful. It, I, it, it killed me. Now, there's some weird crap in here too, like. Satan is actually in it, not just Satanus, but Satan, like, Satanus goes to hell and meets Satan, and Satan's like, hey, you're kind of an okay guy, let's work together. <laughs> and then they talk about the Superman splits into two Supermen. I mean, this is some crazy Bronze Age stuff here that I think escaped from the Silver Age. I, I don't know. Weird, weird stuff. They did a much better job in post-crisis. But my final note is, ugh, on this entry. <laughs> okay. The logo, incredibly dull as well. It's, sure. it's just, it needs something a little more powerful for a font than just that little handwritten thing that they got there. But Give me the post-crisis Lord Satanus any day. <laughs> that sentence has never been said before. Uh, Lord Schilling by, from Jose Delbo, another one of my teachers from the Cubert School. Wow. This is, this is, I just think about how many bad grades I got from these people. Jose Delbo and Bob <laughs> Smith. He is a Tomahawk villain. He first appeared in Tomahawk number 28. Uh, he is, he looks like George Washington, pretty much, except he's British. Uh, and he was just a, you know, a tomahawk bad guy. Do you remember this guy? No, I didn't read, I'd never read these. These are the early ones. I didn't read any of these. I find oh, the, I'm sorry, you read, you read Son of Tomahawk. Yeah, I, I find the tomahawk stuff from the 50s to be crushingly dull. I tried to, but boy, they are boring stories. Like the way the entry reads, he's a master of disguise. He changes his look and his personality and, and takes the place of somebody else and then reveals himself to be the bad guy. And, and, and the way they talk about it, it almost sounds like every issue of Tomahawk was like Scooby-Doo, <laughs> where there's some guy, and at the end, they yank off the mask, and, and, and every time they're shocked, it's Lord Schilling. Like, every, oh, it's Lord Schilling! 
you know, is kind of what this makes it sound like. And we flee, we see him flipping a, in fact, a shilling in the air. Well, that's his trademark. Is he, right. when he commits a crime, he leaves a shilling with right. a hole through. <laughs> uh, I, this one feels like a gimme uh, as well. I mean, this was a character who hadn't appeared in a very long time. He was a villain from a book that nobody remembered for the most part, and he got a full page. So it's mostly art, too. Yeah, this this felt like I, like they they were short, and they were like I you know, in, in the grand list, he normally would have been taken out, but somehow he he stuck it in. I mean, it's a nice drawing and everything else, but yeah, I remember as a kid, I was just like, what? Right. <laughs> he said, "Here you go, no Alfred Pennyworth, but I get Lord Schilling." Right, uh, hair brown, though he frequently wore a powdered wig, which was the custom at the time. <laughs> yeah, occupation, spy, known relatives, Lady Schelling, sister. Yep. yep. <laughs> Where's her listing? Uh, <laughs> the whole Schelling family. And then, of course, later, uh, her descendant, Kurt Schelling, who was a famous pitcher for the uh, Boston Red Sox. Uh, yeah. later, <laughs> later, the final listing, <laughs> blood in the sock. The Later, the final listing is the Losers. Um, first appeared in GI Combat. Now all these, all the losers got their own. Well, not all the losers, but uh, let's see, four, five sixths of the losers <laughs> got their <laughs> got their own listing. So here they are banded together as a group. Uh, art by Joe Brozowski, who did Firestorm, right? He did Firestorm, but at this point, I don't think he was drawing Firestorm just yet. But he was tapped to draw several of the loser entries. Like he drew the entry for Johnny Cloud, if I remember right. Um, he may have drawn another one or two. I'm not sure. Also, now you mentioned everyone got their own inter- entry. To be fair, Gunner and Sarge and Pooch all had to share one page. Right, but they did get a page, though. I mean, they it, got a, yes. poor, poor Ona, uh, the sole nothing. the sole female member of the losers, did not get a listing. Interesting, Haunted Tank didn't make the picture. No, I mean, it didn't. Because he wasn't part of the team. I guess he teamed up with them before they were officially called the Losers, right. if you read the history. So I guess that's why. But right. still, you think they'd use him. I, I also, looking at this drawing, I just feel bad for Pooch because he doesn't have a gun. <laughs> I mean, everybody's, everybody's getting shot at it. Poor Pooch is just standing there. I, feel, I would feel horrible putting my dog at risk like that, so... Oh my god! Uh, yeah, it's a nice drawing. It, it looks a little John Severny to me, which is appropriate. Um, not as good as John Severn because nobody was as good as John Severn. But it has that sort of feel to it. And, and uh, come to think of it, John, I wish that John Severn had done some Who's Who artwork, but he didn't. Uh, but you know, they, they just certainly they had their own feature for a long time, so they certainly deserve a full page. And it's not a bad way to end the book. It is. It's. It's not necessarily as good as some of the other Joe Brozowski stuff in Who's Who. And I don't know what it is, but it just it, some of it just seems rushed. Like you know, his his other stuff he'd done in Who's Who so far, I felt like was a little more polished. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a great artist. He he, he can do. He also went by J.J. Birch. He right, can do right. a, a whole wide range. He can do your standard superhero stuff. He can do war stuff. He can do really weird, quirky superhero stuff. He can do some really kind of unattractive superhero stuff. He can do a lot. He had a wide, wide range. Actually, um, Diablo Frank sent me some messages the other day. Actually, apparently, um, no one knows what's happened to Joe Brozowski, and some people think maybe he died a while ago. Oh my! He, he sort of to- he totally dropped off the radar. Huh? So it's kind of sad. I've been actually quietly trying to find him since I started Firestorm Fame. Sure, sure. And I've reached out to a lot of people with the name Joe Brozowski, and none of them are the right guy. Have you reached out to people named J.J. Birch? 
I tried that. I tried Joe Burt. I tried every combination of everything. Huh. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so that that is the final listing for this issue of Who's Who. Well, we got to mention the the ad page in the back. You know, yeah, I always love, love these pages. Yeah, I do. It tells you like where you can find the characters and gives you six little covers. Like Legionnaires Three is here. I completely forgot that comic even existed. Ah, uh, yes. It's got Crisis Twelve. Even though it's already out, it's still got it there just because it's so important. It's got the Dead Man miniseries. You know, wow, some good, that was great stuff. Good stuff. The Oz Wonderland War. Now, two things that are um, worth mentioning for me. They do mention Lois Lane will appear in an upcoming four-issue miniseries next spring. Huh? She'll no, star in one. I don't think that ever happened, did yeah, it? Yeah, no, it did. It did. It wasn't a four-issue. It was actually uh, two double, double-sized issues, two 48-page books. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I bought it. I think it was written by Mindy Newell, who did uh, huh. the most... Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was just like a straightforward... Lois Lane adventure strip, not uh, her, you know, using Kuklor or any kind of crazy crap like that. Pre-crisis Lois? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, something I, else. And I think it was drawn by Gray Morrow, if I remember correctly. Mm, yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing I, I noticed here for the first time, and I'd be real interested to check out other issues of Who's Who to see if this holds true. You know, there's a lot of Legion stuff here. And so they try and sort of like spread out like the Legion mentions like, you know, you can find him in Legionnaires 3. You can find him in Tales of the Legion of Superheroes. And then I noticed at no point do they reference just Legion of Superheroes. They only reference Tales of the Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires 3. Hmm. Like, why don't you mention the marquee book, Legion of Superheroes? And then it occurred to me because it was a direct market series only. Ah, and I wonder if that's true for all the who's who. Like, I wonder if all the who's who never mentioned the Teen Titans book or the Legion book. Hmm. So I'll be real interested. Now I've thought about that to watch to see, you know, really minutia. Sorry, guys. <laughs> to see whether they ever mentioned the, the direct market books. Hmm. I found that fascinating. Yeah. Uh, my memory does serve me well. There was a Lois Lane miniseries. It was two issues long, 48 pages each. And it was, in fact, written by Mindy Newell, drawn by Gray Morrow, and edited by Bob Greenberger. Well, look at that. There you go. So they were right about that. Cool. Yep. Uh, okay, are we ready for feedback? Heck yeah. All right. Just want to give a big thank you to those of you who have been emailing in stock trades. Just so you know, when you order from in stock trades, there is no place to tell them where you heard about them. What you can do is click their contact us tab, shoot them an email, tell them thank you, and tell them that you heard about them from, in, from Fire and Water Podcast. Several of our listeners have actually already done that. And I got to tell you guys, thank you so much for doing that. And if Absolutely, you don't mind, yeah. we'd appreciate it if you kept it up just to let them know that they're, you know, they're getting a good value by sponsoring the show. Yes, it's a huge, huge help, guys. We really appreciate it. Keep it up. Yep. Want to give another shout out. If you listen to the regular Fire and Water podcast, you already know this. If you don't, then you're the first time hearing it. Give a shout out to Gene Hendricks, who <laughs> on this show we've talked quite a bit about Composite Superman. <laughs> and uh, we've got some crazy running gags about Composite Aquaman Firestorm. Gene took the time to actually assemble his own composite Aquaman Firestorm hero clicks. Crazy, crazy, amazing things that he did. They're out there on our Tumblr. Go check them out. Thank you, Gene. Uh, you are a total nut job. <laughs> want to thank a couple of our friends who gave us shout-outs on their website over on Fortress of Bailey Tude. Michael Bailey gave us a shout-out on one of his Who's Who, uh, classic Who's Who entries. And uh, thanks to Kelson over on Speed Force for giving us a shout-out. Uh, yeah, uh, we we got a lot of feedback, guys, um, as we always do. And you guys are absolutely the best 
podcast listening community in the world, hands down. We're going to start off, we're just going to kind of cherry pick different things because we cannot read all of this, all, yes, I'm right, 39 pages of feedback <laughs> from one episode of Who's Who. We can't possibly do it. But, so I will just start off by cherry picking a few from our good buddy Siskoid, who's uh, one of our co-hosts on the Hero Points podcast. He talks about the cover of last issue, and I pronounce the bad guy as the Cahoons. I say Cahooned. He says the H is silent, and he says it's just cund. I guess cund, or is that how you would say? Other people cover that later on <laughs> in the yeah. feedback. So uh, it gets covered a lot, actually. So, and uh, he says he even used them in his DC role playing game recently. He he, he says about Calabac. He says he mentioned uh, we, in fact that we mentioned Super Friends reminds him of all his uh, goodwill for the evil new gods was because of their appearances on the on the Superpowers show, and it came full circle that way when he used when they were used in the Superman animated series in the nineties. Obviously, I later discovered the Kirby comics and liked them for a whole host of new reasons. So very nice. I was kind of the same. I I, I came about the new gods much later in life, so most of my memories come from that. Karate Kid. I love how every Karate Kid movie must, by law, mention this character in the credits. <laughs> it was a little crazy to allow this guy to join the Legion based on his super karate being his unique power, not yet represented. <laughs> Katana. There's little text because, in all caps, nothing really happens in Outsiders comics. She's fighting that ridiculous nunchuck guy who was in the Soul Taker 2. I made a lot of fun of him, you know where. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The Knights of the Galaxy. I said they'd only appeared in one comic. I kind of lost my mind uh, talking about the Knights of the Galaxy last issue, complaining that they only got they're only one comic and they got a full page entry with no text. Several people were kind of have to write in and point out, nope, nope, they made it into look like looks like about eight or nine comics. So okay, fair enough. But uh, some of them were reprints, though. Either way, they still didn't deserve that full page. No, they didn't. Anyway. And then Siskoid went on his own blog to do a whole series of Who's This entries uh, on Judo Master, J. Wil- Wilbur Wolfingham, Kakana, uh, The King, and Kong the Untamed. Uh, we got an email from Martin Gray. Great to have you chaps back so soon. I had to have a look at the entry to realize, he spells realize with S, which is the British way, which is wrong. You were referring to the... You, were referring, you know it's called the English language. Yes, okay. You were referring to... The, oh yeah, we won the war. You were referring to the Cahoons. I always read it as cunts. Not, not if Lord Schilling has his way. I always read it as... See, that's why we won. Look at that. Look at that, how ridiculous he looks. I always read it as cunts and couldn't believe DC got away with it. Presumably the Earth-X transfers get so much play because Len Weed wrote that JLA story and put them here retroactively or maybe not. Did okay. Hunter, you sort of blurred through that. Yes, I did. But... It's hard to hear. Earth X. He actually thinks he's figured out why there's so much Earth X nonsense in here. Because <laughs> Len Wein puts it in. Thank you, Martin. That it really bugs the crap out of me. All every Earth X, you know, every time Earth X does anything, it has to like go into great detail. Ugh. <laughs> it's like a Lord Satanus entry. Uh, he asked, "Did Huntress not die under a force shield or rock with Robin and Cole in Crisis on Infinite Earths?" Yes, she did. I forgot about that. I forget that it, she, I did too. that she lived through the, the the first nine issues of Blood and Guts, and then die only to die at number twelve, which makes me sad when I think about it. Uh, I thought she died after the series, but yeah, yeah. The Kid Eternity Captain Marvel Brother thing was a seventies edition by, if memory serves, E. Nelson <laughs> Bridwell. No E. Shag Bridwell, not Bridewell. Uh, <laughs> It was brilliant to hear that Jericho has a fan, proving nothing's impossible. <laughs> and then his, uh, his vote for Legends. Legends was great. Fun story, great art, and tremendous spinoffs. So we got at least one listener for the uh, Legends episode whenever we do it. And we are going to do it at some point. Okay. 
Uh, sorry, hold on one second. I am doing a quick check on something. <laughs> I, I am, without even, a, without even checking with you, I am awarding Diablo Frank the uh, Yellow Dot Award for this issue because he wrote over 4,000 words. He did. That was a mammoth. Yeah. I, 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 did, I was doing a word check on it. 4,000 words he wrote <laughs> on this, which is probably more words than appear in the comic. Yeah. I'm just saying. So uh, I, I think he gets the Yellow Dot Award. He actually had to hire Brenda Pope to proofread his letter before he started it. <laughs> uh, Martin Stein returns. My buddy Robert Gross came in and said he always like he always had the idea that Lincoln, sorry, Louise Lincoln and Crystal Frost, who were the two different Killer Frost, were more than just friends in college. <laughs> and let me tell you, buddy, I've always thought the same thing well, too. Well, you tend to experiment, so I guess so. I tell you, our good buddy Andrew runs the Supergirl blog. Says uh, Jorel, I love this page. Boring and Ordway always drew this. Uh, also drew Secret Origins number one. Also, Super, what's boring that? Boring and Ordway in the tabs were known as a Boardway. Boardway. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, and that's Jerry, the extraordinary Ordway, by the way. Right. Uh, they drew Secret Origins number one, which features the origin of Superman of Earth 2. Just beautiful stuff in this issue. I'll always appreciate it. Classic Jorel as a brilliant scientist. Talks a little about Candor. Says there's a uh, nice moment in Alan Moore's famous for the man who has everything story where Wonder Woman presents Superman with another replica Candor. So she doesn't feel bad. Superman super speeds into the other room. That's great, with- yeah. Puts the old Candor in a closet and then he graciously <laughs> accepts her gift. That's Very great. cute moment. I forgot about that. King Faraday, he seems ripe for a rethinking in a pulpy Ed Brubaker-style book. Sir, you are very correct. I agree with that, yes. I thought it was a shame he only got half a page. Why hasn't DC realized this? He also got a couple of nice moments in Darwin Cook's DC The New Frontier. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Knights of the Galaxy. Hey, Shag, here's another plug for the Chaken Garcia Lopez Twilight book. Uh, praise be his name, by the way. Oh. The Knights of the Galaxy get a complete rethinking in this book, especially Lyle. That book's well worth the reading. Well, I've got all, all three issues sitting on my shelf bound together. Uh, not bound, but in a bag together. I need to just get off my butt and read him. And he talks about Cole, how she was experimented on as a child. She said, as, a da- as he says, as a dad myself, though, I worry about all these parents who knowingly experiment on their kids in the DC universe. Very creepy. I think even more scary is that Ange is procreated. I didn't know that. Ooh, scares me. Well done. <laughs> Alienating our listeners. <laughs> or, or, or well done to him. <laughs> no, yeah, I think well done to him. Yeah, yeah, well done to him. Good, Good job. on you. Good job, Andrew. Hope it's a girl. Teach him about super, teach her about Supergirl. All right. Anthony Durso, the toy room, uh, he says the Jor-El piece is one of his favorite pieces in the entire Who's Who entry. Very nice. He mentions Judo Master. Judo Master always seems to be the forgotten Charlton character. He didn't even rate a pastiche in Watchmen. After- I didn't notice that until no, he said I, it. No, exactly. I, after, yeah, after I read that, that email, I was like, wait, that can't be true. And then I went back. I'm like, yeah, damn, he's right. There is no Judo Master. I mean – you know, there's basically the you know the main Watchmen are all the Charlton pastiches, and then all the other characters from the Minutemen are basically all of Alan Moore's own creation. So yeah, there is no real Judo Master version. That's a good 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 catch, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, he mentions on the Justice League uh, pinup. I agree 100. percent Not a fan of Luke McDonald and Bill Ray's art on this piece. It's so underwhelming, and is somewhat a slap in the face to DC's premier superhero team. If Perez was unavailable, I would have preferred to see this drawn by. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, or extraordinary Jerry Ordway. Either artist would have done much more with the subject matter than the artists that were selected. By the way, Snapper Carr is in the same category as Adam Strange and Sorry and the Sorcerer. Honorary members. Metamorpho 2, I think. Yes, that's why he does not belong in that listing. He belongs in the listing. He does not. 
He totally does. He goes on to talk about Kid Eternity. He says Kid Eternity was originally a – this is, this is interesting. I, we talked about Kid Eternity and um, Captain Marvel Jr. being uh, related. He says Kid Eternity was originally a quality comics character who was later retconned to be the brother of Freddie Freeman, a.k.a. Captain Marvel Jr., a Fawcett comics character by E. Nelson Bridewell. Or Brid, Bridwell, whatever. Bridwell. All right. Anyway, uh, in, respect, in retrospect, uh, Bridwell appears to be an earlier version of Jeff Johns, tying together obscure threads of DC continuity. I didn't realize they were from different companies, so that's clever. Yes, yes. Killer Moth. I can't explain why, but I've always had a soft spot for this character. To me, he's the epitome of goofy, gimmicky villains Batman faced repeatedly in the 50s and 60s. Forget Calendar Man, Firefly, Zodiac Master, Catman, Spellbinder, and others. Killer Moth is the real deal. He just represents to me a different time when comic books could be fun instead of today's approach to dark, dreary, and taking themselves way too seriously. And as a fan, I disavow anything that happened to Killer Frost from Underworld Unleashed, where he became Caraxes and onwards. <laughs> uh, he also gives a vote for King Faraday. He says, I first encountered this character in New Teen Titans. I would love to have seen a book from DC featuring characters like King Faraday and Johnny Double on a regular basis. Missed opportunity in my opinion. That would have been great. I would have loved that kind of throw all the pulpy adventure characters together. That would have been killer. Well, that. Faraday Faraday showed up shortly after this in Checkmate, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. Did um cuz like there's Starch Steel was a, was a character in there and I think Far- I want to say Faraday was I wonder if Johnny Double showed up in there at all. It would have been one pretty... of the few Copperberg books I've not read. Yep. Uh anyway, we got a letter from Earth to Chris. It starts out in all caps. Rob was right for Oh, whatever. I just said to start out this way. Way to go, Rob. Oh, I love this letter. You said Sir Print and stuck to it, and time proved you correct. Well done, sir. Yes, thank you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> this whole this problems throughout this entire letter. Just, just so, so you, you know, know, I did not make Chris say that in exchange for him appearing on the Power Records episode. Just, this <laughs> whole thing is just crap. This whole letter. Just Killer Frost had no business being the main focus of this cover. This, Whatever. This, he's getting more and more right as it goes on. Kid Flash was robbed in the very month he became the first kid sidekick to live the dream and properly replace his mentor in every way and to everyone except Dan Didio. Okay, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> Shag, Mayfair did do a Teen Titans source book, although it was far past the Titans' mid-80s heyday. It came out in 1990 and was written by a guy named, I'm not making this up, John J. Tara. Pen name? The book, ha- the book has been, um, uh, wait, the book may have been released toward the tail end of Mayfair's DC game run. The book is much smaller than the other source books I own. Now to, be fair, now, to be fair, when I, when I said that, I said it was either Mayfair or West End Games, and it, in fact, it was West End Games. They had planned a Titans and Green Lantern source book for the West End Games version that never saw publication. However, the PDFs of the content are readily available. Oh, okay. Uh, regarding the Earth 2 Aquaman, I guess Lean wasn't reading, Len Wein wasn't reading his former book, All-Star Squadron, was he? Roy Thomas answered the Earth 2 conundrum a full year before Who's Who hit the shelves in the epic issue number 31. No, what what is that? Aquaman didn't appear. Yes, he did. Yeah, it was like issue sixty one. No, he appears in number thirty one. No, no, he showed up for the photo at the end. No, but he uh, yes, but he showed, but he appears in number thirty one. What did he do? I don't Liberty, that. Liberty Bell refers to him as saying that's why he's not. He's. They said she acknowledges that he does exist. But he's hard to get in contact because he's mostly at sea, and we see him. We see a little, we see like a little like collage image of him alongside uh, the Shining Knight and Amazing Man. All right. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's that great issue where all the members show up except for a couple of them, and one of them is Aquaman. It's a really great drawing, and he's he seems swimming. He's got the yellow gloves and the whole bit. Yeah. 
You can grumble all you want. It's it happened. I'll send you the. Da- you know what? We're gonna put that on the Tumblr. That's it. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck with that. That means you'd actually have to go out to Tumblr and do something. With I it. will do it. I hope it's worth the effort. Uh, Justice League of America. Man, this was a disappointment. Never a big fan of Luke McDonald, though I do think he fit grittier fare like Suicide Squad better than JLA or JLD. His women just weren't pretty. I wish the proper JLA had gotten a two-page spread and then JLD got their own, like Doom Patrol. Their classic team got two pages with no tack-ons. And I definitely miss Perez or even Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Too bad Chuck Patton had left the book. He would have rocked this spread. That is also true. That is the best suggestion yeah. I've heard. Chuck Patton yet, absolutely actually. should have done it. Chuck absolutely. Patton should have done the whole J. Ge- now, I don't agree it should have been two split pages. I think this should have been a combined league um, because it just it's you, you just represent that way. I, I still don't think Doom Patrol should have been split like that. Anyway, um, Chuck Patton should have drawn it. That yep. would have been brilliant. Yep. Uh, Just Society of America. Now we're talking. The final word on the pre-crisis JSA. I detect the hint of Roy Thomas in this entry. Only Roy obsesses over the actual team rosters over the years as listed here. I don't see him listed as a contributing writer, so I'm thinking he gave copious notes to whoever penned this. <laughs> it's true, because if you guys remember what we talked about, the entry just kept reading like, this person left, this person joined, this person left, yeah. this person joined. It's just like, okay, <laughs> we get it. Uh, he, talk, he talks about Kid Flash. He says, while these parents were named in the late 70s Flash Spectacular, who's who just screwed up? They were Bob and Marion West. Wally looks gaunt because at this point Perez had developed unique faces for all the Titans. He decided Wally should be really thin with distinctive cheekbones. He talks about Wally's hair in the old filmation cartoons was actually black, yes. but at some point they did start coloring his hair as brown in the comics, sometimes even when he was in his civvies. Even in the Mago Kid Flash figure had his brown hair. So that's sort of why they announce in the issue about the brown hair questions. Talks about, uh, yes, Killer Frost's boobs were lopsided. Thank you. Cole... Born to die, Wolfman created Cole just so he could say he gave up a character to die in crisis. I can't believe that. And he says, I believe, I like this, he puts in an acronym, J-L-G-L, which is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. And then in parentheses, he puts the acronym P-B-H-N, which is for <laughs> praise be his name. name. Designed, he designed, so uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, Thanks. designed Cole, not Perez. So, And he said, I've heard the term boop window used in reference to Power Girl, but I can't remember where. Yeah, a lot of people said that because I didn't think I made up the boob window phrase, but a lot of people gave me credit for it. So I was like, well, I thought I hadn't made it up, but whatever you guys say so. Well, no, absolutely. It's been used in reference to, uh, to Power Girl for years. It's certainly not mine. So thank you for you know offering it to me, but not mine. <laughs> He ends the letter with, great show as always, guys. I'm in it for the long haul. Even the Impact series, which I had, I will admit. I would love to hear some interviews with folks like Lean Wolfman and Greenberger if they'd be agreeable to give of their time. I'm sure they get asked about their own work, all their other work all the time. I doubt folks are being down their door to ask them about who's who. <laughs> Sincerely, Earth 2 Chris, a.k.a. Chris Franco. Thank you for the letter, Chris. Woo-hoo. Heard from Kyle Benning. Uh, he says, I think Jerry, the extraordinary Orway, is the way to go. Man, he is such a phenomenal artist, and I think that is a nickname he is well worthy of. Uh, he mentions now the JSA spread by Jerry Ordway. That is how you do it. Man, that two-page spread is awesome. Wow. The only way it could have been sweeter is if it had a World War II-era American flag, 48 stars, in the surprint. Uh, <laughs> that would have been pretty cool. That would have been cool. He also, go, he also agrees with my... Uh, my appropriation saying that Calabac is the Fredo of the Apocalypse. He says, ha-ha, so true. Calabac is totally, the, totally is the Fredo of Apocalypse to God's family. I only prefer this design of Calabac over the updated 90s on design of this character. 
Kirby in the past has been accused of having limited diversity in character designs, with people saying a lot of his characters looked almost identical. See his Thor versus his Commandy. And this Kalbach is fairly unique. The current design of the character makes Kalbach look much more like another Kirby invention, Blastar. The Kalbach figure from Superpowers Line might be my favorite villain of my favorite of the villains' figures. Hmm. Okay. Uh, he mentions, I'll ignore the hating on the Superman characters in Mythos in this episode. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> Didn't like this episode either, I guess. I guess I should expect it from two people who are unable to comprehend the all-around awesomeness that is composite Superman. Oh, my gosh. Kanjar Rowe might be one of the strangest villains of all time. I never really understood his insect eyes. It's crazy that he was once a huge part of the JL and DCU stories and a major villain when he's a little more than a footnote nowadays. Uh, well, he did come back later, to be fair. Uh, I loved his inclusion and the new story using him in the DC Retroactive 70s, 70s JLA story. Man, I wish they'd do those stories every summer. I thought it was a great pass little publishing scheme and a nice window into DC's rich past. Dude, you are so right. Those retroactive comics were joys. That'd be awesome if they did them every year. Says, I agree on Shag's analysis of Killer Frost entry. I would have much rather seen a uh, Pat Broderick drawing uh, of this entry. So while I agree the Knights of the Galaxy don't deserve a full page, they did actually have more appearances than Shag gave him credit for. As we said, he pointed some of those out. And then him and Rob went back and forth about Justice League. Yeah, Knights of the Galaxy did have some reprints in JLA issues. They yep. were all reprints, but they did appear. I like this. this is a shout-out for Daniel Cynical Adams. He says, I can't help but see the similarities between Shag trying to pronounce fans' names from Facebook and Twitter and the theme song where it says, Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? <laughs> uh, we got a letter from Count Druncula, a.k.a. Ryan Taylor, uh, at Rob. I'm not sure if I ever mentioned this, but I'm a bit of a Black Canary fan. But Wonder Woman was the founding member of the Justice League. I never liked the retcon that Canary was part of the first lineup, and I'm glad that bit of revisionist history was rewritten again. Me wow. too. Well, he, Count Druncula does the Black Canary blog, uh, Flowers and Fishnets, so of that course. says a lot. Yep. He says, I, I really like, is it to me, he says he really likes the Golden Age Black Canary wearing the domino mask. That's something that I said that I thought looked great. It works for the Diana Drake version and it ev- as it evokes the mystery man feel of the era. And I'm very happy that Jerry Ordway, you forgot to say Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway, but anyway, <laughs> included in this knockout image of the Justice Society of America. <laughs> I like he mentions Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, forget his name, draws Cole, but not Justice League of America. Really? Cole? <laughs> but I mean, now we know, of course, that he had right. in the creation. So. We heard from our buddy Philemon, who we are consistently telling he's wrong um, or crazy. And he wrote, no hard, no hard feelings, guys. I've been made fun of by people better than you. I will stand up for the fact that Jericho is awesome, even if I have to stand alone. Says I, and he goes, ooh, I can disagree with you about the handling of the post-crisis time. I love the ambiguity with some characters remembering their pre-crisis lives. I think DC would have been better off if instead of a slapdash recons, I'm looking at you, Donna Troy, they focused on the drama that came from these characters losing their whole histories. And uh, <laughs> then he talks about stuff and he goes, and, to, and just to be contrary, I think Killer Frost's costume is cool. And the Knights of the Galaxy have tons of pate, dot, dot, dot. No, not even I can say that with a straight face. <laughs> uh, we got an email from Luke Giaconetti. He mentions, if Discovery can do a fake documentary about the Megalodon, I see no reason not to do a show about the various killer sharks. <laughs> 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 Kong the Untamed is one of the sword and sorcery style books which DC put out as part of the DC explosion, none of which made it say Warlord. Others include Beowulf, Dragon Slayer, Joe Kubert's Tour, Justice Inc., featuring the Avenger, Hercules Unbound, Stalker, 
and Clothing Unconquered. Kong is essentially a ripoff of Korag, son of, uh, Korag, son of, Tarzan, son of Tarzan, but the short-run series remains on my to-buy list in my effort to collect all the Explosion SS books. Now, this started off a whole run on Firestorm oh my of people God. arguing about what counts as the DC Explosion and the DC Implosion and what does not. It really went on and on and on, so much so that I piped in and said I thought that this DC Implosion was tearing us all apart. I, I thought somebody was going to kill each other. Yeah. I mean, it, it got really, really bad. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to a quick comment he had. He, I'm going to read something he used to defend a character that pretty much gets beaten up universally by our re- listeners. Um, the, the Outsiders is a book that gets panned quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And he, he came to their defense, or specifically Katana. And I like this. This is good. Jim Aparo handling Katana. Oh, yeah. I am always torn whether he was better with Tatsu or if Alan Davis was superior. Both of them were awesome, and Katana is one of my favorite heroines in all of comics. One of my favorite Katana moments can, uh, is when Bruce Wayne returned to the present day after his death. In Markovia, Batman, disguised as the Insider, tangles with Geoforce's lo- loyalist outsiders, and he specifically is puts over, uh, and he specifically puts over Katana as the only one of the outsiders he was concerned about fighting. Nice. That's impressive. That's a lot. Batman's worried about having to fight you. <laughs> uh, we got an email from Frank. Uh, y- you think? Um, like I said, we can only do some of these points. I'm going to just drop a couple here. Uh, point Y, <laughs> which started, he started with Z and worked backwards. Point Y. And then, and then made up weird. And then like, made up, yeah, we'll go into that in a second, yeah. Point Y. I skipped Michael Bailey's Quest for Peace commentary, but if he's going to go bad for that piece of crap, I'm going to have to download it after all. <laughs> it's worth listening to, even though they are all insane, to desperately trying to find little bits of things to be complimentary about in that film. Uh, point T, Perlin Ween, the Earth 2 Aquaman, will apparently be starring in Justice League War, the cartoon adaptation exactly no one asked for. <laughs> he, this is where he takes me to task about the sensei thing. Sensei is Japanese for master or teacher, and Shag has somehow missed half a century of kung fu anime culture in America. Would have thought he'd at least have investigated hentai. It's hot. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Yes, I knew what a sensei was. I, I'm well aware. I've seen Karate Kid. I know that they a bunch of different senseis out there. So um, I was just goofing around. And, of course, I've seen some hentai. Yes. Uh, point P, I've defended Luke McDonald repeatedly against Shag's criticism, and I still believe that he was the superior JLA Detroit artist, but... Wrong. Yeah, but yeah, the JLA, uh, the JLA spread sucked. I wasn't aware that <laughs> I wasn't aware that Bern Hogarth produced a volume called Apathetic Anatomy, but but uh, but McDonald clearly followed it religiously. The team looks like lumbering miscast cosplayers. Only under McDonald McDonald could vibe and be the most triumphant looking member. Surely, thanks to his costume rendering him seventy five percent silhouette and sunglasses, concealing the seemingly uniform and passive eyes. Kyle Perez drew vibe on a postcard during Crisis and a JLA Avengers, so we'd have done it if here. Yeah, and then he that, said, yes? That, that, that's a call up earlier because uh, someone had said, or maybe, or maybe it's later, either way, basically saying that Kyle Perez. Benning. Kyle Benning is the Yeah, Perez strongly disliked the character of vibe. He felt like it was a bad, stereotypical representation and didn't enjoy drawing vibe. Hmm. Uh, Luke also, uh, not Luke, I'm sorry, Frank also points out that he's surprised to hear me grumble about the JLA Year One retcon because Aquaman got so much more to do. And while he did appreciate that, I still just am bothered. To me, the JLA is those seven, you know. And even though Aquaman got more to do under the new regime, it still just just didn't sit well with me. But I did appreciate that Aquaman did get more to do. I, I like this bit where in the JLA drawing, uh, 
Gypsy was clinging to the leg of of elongated man or his body. The it whole body, really, yeah, yeah. It looked weird, like pole dancing. It says I'm uncomfortable with Gypsy demonstrating how she survived on the street, and someone needs to take Sue Dibney aside and discuss the matter. <laughs> um, point J. I'm developing a strong interest in buying original comic art from the Who's Who entries. I've never destroyed a piece of work before and consider it immoral. But he writes immortal, but I'm sure he means immoral. But I'm keen on testing my ethical boundaries with the J. Wilbur, Wolfingham, and Callista entries. How much would how much could a Bob Smith original cost, right? I'm a terrible artist, but with enough time, effort, and reference, I think I could birth something onto the world to replace and surpass Todd Smith. Certainly with enough time, effort, beer, and coffee, I could probably express my full appreciation of their output. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Oh. I'm going to go up to two other points here. It says, I always liked, as Justice Society stuff, I always like Al Pratt's original costume, especially compared to that lame fin job that followed. Men in girdles project both strength and sensuality, and Al Pratt needed something to make up for his soggy personality. There's another one here you had, you had tagged to read, but I'm going to read it for you. Uh, so just skipped it. Fun fact, after the ordained Jerry Ordway left Infinity Inc., he was supposed to write and draw Huntress miniseries. He was asked to do Crisis first and didn't learn that Huntress wouldn't survive the series until he inked the page where a wall fell on her. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess that's how he found out he wasn't doing that, that many series. So, uh, point B, I'd like to poke fun at Rob's mild indifference to the Legion, but you guys, he impatiently shooed away from the 31st century equivalent of the Klingons. Seriously, you guys are going to have to bring in guest hosts for the Legion devoted edition. Uh-oh. Anyway, what idiot wise person didn't include the Kuns in the glossary? I'd have to check, but I'm pretty sure it's pronounced like what you derisively call your mates at an English club or you call your girlfriend in America if you want to be murdered in your sleep. I, <laughs> I enjoy the bold combination of Jurgens and Thaxton. All that body hair and the droop of the loincloth really makes their name into a Yankee Doodle deal. I liked how Kevin McGuire drew them in the Oberon Spotlight story from JLI. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I like here, he, he talks about, this guy is nice, he talks about Steve Lytle's Karate Kid, and he says, Steve Lytle is one of my favorite artists in entries like this demonstrate why. Uh, later on, talk about the key, he says, Paris Collins was 100% on for the key. Perhaps Giordano is to blame, but it sucks how far the covers are from the good work Paris can produce on his own. You know what? Uh, there might be something to that. <laughs> Um, he has point O with a slash across it. I'm not sure what that's supposed to be. I always associate Killer Moth with being the goofball so inept that Batgirl beat him on her rookie outing when her costume was intended only for Halloween. Quote, often confused with Firefly, unquote, is not a thing to aspire to. How do you get from Moth to Pterodactyl? Not only was Killer Moth a live-action villain on the 60s TV show, portrayed by Tim Herbert, but his 1995 Underworld Unleashed revision as Taraxis was initiated a decade earlier in a little scene film where he was played by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> he talks about here, he says, the comic, down the, street from, the comic shop down the street from me that sucks put all their back-issue stock on sale for a year, uh, for a dollar a year ago. So I decided to buy a bunch of Firestorm issues that appealed to me for various reasons. I tried to buy all the Killer Frost appearances I could find. I think Killer Frost's last story is among them, but they're dumped in a random long box somewhere. Not having read them, I have to ask, why did Crystal Frost die? Louise Lincoln replaced her barely a year later with the same powers, costume, and basic personality, right? What motivated Jerry to do this? Uh, the answer to that is I, I asked him, and he honestly didn't remember. He's like, I'm not sure. I guess I just wanted to do something more with the character. So, there you go. He says, I know and like the Lincoln version best, including the simplified costumes, and prefer her appearances outside of Firestorm, most specifically her run in Giffen's Suicide Squad series. Glad she's getting media attention now. I will say uh, Killer Frost in the in the Giffen Suicide Squad series was awesome. Really, really good. That whole 12-issue miniseries, or not, 12-issue ongoing series of Suicide Squad by Giffen was really good. It was like Suicide Squad meets Justice League International. 
Point Sigma. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. We're missing that. We haven't done that. We've got to do it together at the same time. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Sure shined up coal, but no amount of polish could turn that lump into a diamond. One of those characters you know only existed because Warren Wolfman couldn't figure out what to do with the Titans without Perez. <laughs> and then he gave this wonderful listing. Of, he calls it the official who's who, the Defendant Podcast of DC Universe, Aquaman Shrine, Comet Board, <laughs> Sympathy Link, Bibliography, Volume 12. And it's all these links to stuff that just tie into the, that episode. It's over on Aquaman Shrine. It's a hoot. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Uh <laughs> Oh, I like this. Uh, Cisco also says about co-stars. It's basically Frank's. He like, talks about Frank's comments. He likes. He says, "I love reading Frank's comments since they're like their own companion to the show, uh, or their own companion show, not to the show. It's a show in itself." Anyway, he says, "Yeah, who's who in the Legion's going to be rough on Rob? Maybe then I'll have to start blogging daily about the Legion so Rob could live vicariously through the 30th century through that." Uh, <laughs> and then he says, "Plug. I do hope you guys cover the Impact comics." So. Everyone's, yeah, that's, that's more than one and, time we've gotten a recommendation for that. And then it descended into a Beowulf discussion. <laughs> Which we, yeah, we don't need to worry about. You can just read I it. know, but I, I love our guys. I love when they get oh, it. Oh, that's, yes. That's you guys totally rock. We're fussed about it, but not really. We think it's awesome. No, yeah. I mean, the only reason we don't read all of it, we just don't have the time. We would. Right. We just literally don't have the time to do it. Single best podcasting community in the world. Absolutely. Uh, we got a letter from Tim Wallace, I got who I ran into at the Baltimore Comic-Con, and I forgot to mention him. I deeply apologize, Tim. I always forget people, which is why sometimes I tend to not want to mention anybody, because I always leave somebody out. I left. I ran into Tim at the Baltimore Comic-Con. He was helping uh, actually run the show. He was helping out, run, take people to rooms and stuff. So uh, it was great. It was great getting to meet him for the first time. So sorry I forgot to mention you the first time around, Tim. Anyway, he says, I got to say, I like the McDonald's stuff. Still do, especially on Suicide Squad, but yes, even the JLA and this entry. J. Wilbur Wolfingham. He looks like W.C. Fields on the cover, but that entry inside looks like the penguin until Telly Savalas had a child. Who loves you, baby? <laughs> As a side note, I recently came across my old DC, he- DC Heroes RPG box and several of the modules and source books. Ah, the memories. I just scanned the Blue Beetle card for an upcoming post on my blog. If anyone's looking for another character scans for their blogs, let me know and I'll do what I can. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for the offer. Yep, and this, he didn't at that time when he wrote that he didn't even know about the Hero Points podcast. So yeah. I heard from our buddy Keith Samra. He wrote, "I'm going to have to side with Shag on this one. The ex- uh, the ex- the extraordinary Jerry Ordway doesn't sound as good as Jerry the extraordinary ordinary right. Ordway." Heard from our buddy Jack Dower. He asked, uh, "What would be your dream team of writers, heroes, villains, excluding Slipknot? They are using the New Fifty Two Knights of the Galaxy series, after all. An artist be on an ideal JLA book." Um, I got to tell you, Jack, for me, I, I can't do that. I can't break it down into what an ideal JLA book would be because I love every era of the JLA in its own way. And each, each one has its own distinct flavor that I don't I, – I can't put together an all-star JLA because I, I feel like the JLA, it almost doesn't matter who's on the team. It's just how they write the series is what it is to me. The characters don't matter as much as the flavor of the book. So that's just me. Uh, yeah, that's a huge question to answer. But one thing I will point out um, was Jerry Conway left JLA as number 216 in a very sort of abrupt send-off, you know, and he, and he left the book. And then there were two months of fill-ins. One was by Paul Kupperberg and one was by Carrie Burkett, and they were both single-issue stories. And those two, number 217 and 218, are some of, in my opinion, the best JLA stories ever done. They're so simple. They're so direct. 
they're just solid, tight superhero adventure stories. And then in number 219, we had that crazy Black Canary origin. And then we did the whole uh, animal people thing. Jerry Conway came back on the book. After saying he was leaving the book, he came back on the book. And then they pretty quickly went into the whole Earth-Mars war thing and the whole JLA Detroit. But there was that two-month period where they just had basically fill-ins. But the fill-ins were really good, and they were drawn by Chuck Patton. And, and to me, it's like that – I would have absolutely wanted to see a couple of years' worth of that, of Chuck Patton drawing the classic JLA written by different guys again. There's nothing wrong with that. you know. I, I wish they, I wish that, that little era that lasted all of two months – could have gone on a little longer because it was really, really good. There's another one-off story, number 224, written by Kurt Busiak, an early, early story by him, that is uh, drawn by was drawn by, I believe, Patton and Dick Giordano, which is good too. So it's like I don't know, mm. yeah, I don't know why those little fill-ins mm. couldn't continue. What? Mm, I don't remember liking that a whole lot. Okay. It was like the last JLA JSA crossover story, or whatever, right before no. Crisis. I- no, no, no. The one I'm talking about is a single-issue story featuring a villain called Paragon. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of a different story. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so I would have liked to have seen that. Just, you know, let some fill-in guys do it for a while, and, you know? and, and But it, we never got that chance, you know? Chuck Patton really never got a chance to draw the classic JLA before they moved it over to the Detroit thing. And um, I always regret that, because, like I said, go find those issues. Number 217 and 218. It's 217 has a cover by George Perez. They are really, really good stories. Um... Heard from Little Brussel Burbage from Opal City. He wrote in with several comments. Uh, actually, I think the first one's yours here. Uh, he write, no comment yet? What? Everybody jumped the Aquaman ship and went over to Firestorm, went over to the Firestorm canoe? Whatever. Canoe? What? <laughs> oh, uh, he says, I agree that the JLA pick is not spectacular, but I've always liked it anyway. Chuck Patton or Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, you missed it again. Come on, man. Oh, sorry, I was reading ahead. Yeah. Uh, would have knocked it out of the ballpark for sure. JSA, by the extraordinary Ordway. Can art get any better than this? Not really. No, no, it cannot, sir. Names. I had no idea Command was pronounced Command D. I always just thought it thought as Command D, Command D, uh, and Comanche, or like Comanche or something. Also, I thought Faraday was supposed to be king for a day. Was that just a coincidence? We'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. As a Japanese scholar, I have to give Jim Aparo minus points for not copying Japanese characters correctly. The two <laughs> biggest on the far right are, are I'm going to say this wrong, so forgive me, Russell, uh, Nippon, the name of Japan, they're okay. The ones behind the robo nunchuck are just gobbledygook. The only one that's anything that's at all. That's offensive, Russell. That's, a, that's, a, that's offensive. Oh, jeez. The, the only one that's anything at all is a character next to his left knee. That's Hiro from Hiroshima. It means wide. Okay. You should, by the way, you should visit Russell's blog. I'm blanking on the name at the moment, but you can find, we'll, we'll post a link to it on the show notes. Friends, Friends of Justice? Friends of Justice, that's it. But I mean, it, maybe that's not the blog. Anyway, uh, he posts, he did a bunch of JLA comics that he drew himself uh, that were used to help uh, his students, because he was teaching English in, when he was living in Japan, teach them English. And it, so you've got Justice League in original adventures speaking Japanese with the English translations. It's it's pretty amazing. It's really amazing to see this stuff. Uh, but uh, so you can go over to his blog again at Friends of Justice and you can see some of that stuff. It's really cool. Uh, he, we, we, oh, heard, we heard from Blue Screen. Oh, oh wait, you, I'm one, sorry. one more thing with Russell. He go said, ahead. "My best friend in Indiana loves Kid Eternity. I think he's a charming character, and I liked how we got to hang out with the Marvel family and World's Finest in the early '80s. Beautiful Don Newton art in those stories. I think." The best friend in Indiana is like my girlfriend in Canada. I think it's a fake thing. I think Russell really loves Kid Eternity. He just doesn't want to say it. 
If you really like uh, Classic Kid Attorney, check out the uh, Teen Titans comics by Jeff Johns. He, that's, that's as close as you're going to get nowadays. So. Heard from our buddy Blue Scream. He said, uh, Impact was my introduction to comics as a young boy. The fly was the raddest. If you skip it in 2027, I'm going to be a very sad man. <laughs> that's Impact books made a real impact. They, I loved him, dude. Actually, that's where I met Mark Wade for the first time. He was doing an Impact book, and I went up to him and talked to him at a convention. He's like, "You read my book?" Because I think he was actually—I'm sorry—I think he was an editor at the time or something like that. He did well. Anyway, yes, he he edited Secret Origins, and his letters pages are my favorite part of that title. They were great. I, sh- I just came up to him, and he's like, "No one knows who I am. I'm an editor. You know who I am?" I'm like, "Yeah," because he wrote a big Aquaman piece too, in one of those Aquaman. Yes, he did. Yeah, things I talked about. Anyway, so that's the first time I ever met him back when he was an editor, and we talked a lot about I had him sign my Impact Comics and stuff. Ah, oh, the Comet and the Fly, they were the jam, my friend. <laughs> I'll have to bone up on those because I didn't read any of them at the time. Oh, so good. Uh, we got a letter from Aaron Bias. He said, point one, the idea that there is no difference between the Golden Age Aquaman and the Silver Age to the then present Aquaman is complete BS. Not just oh, my God. Are we on this again? Yes, we are. Not this just, is like All Star Con. This is like Composite Superman talk. Not, it's over. Not just because, not just because of the color of his gloves either. In 1941, Aquaman was established as a man whose scientist father discovered the ruins of Atlantis and taught his son how to breathe underwater and communicate with sea life. In 1959, hot on the heels of everyone else in the new JLA getting revised origins, Aquaman was given a completely new origin. This time, he was the son of a human lighthouse keeper and a woman from Atlantis, very submariner. Clearly, this is the point of delineation what would be thought of as the Earth-1 or Earth-2 identity in a similar vein to Wonder Woman or Green Arrow. Characters who remained in publication kept their name costume, kept their same costumes and identities, but were subtly different to bring them up to speed with the new Flash and Green Lantern. Exactly, Aaron. That is exactly right. Uh, Alright, let's go to something you're more interested in. Point point two, Shag is correct. If Johnny doubles right-handed, his shoulder holster should be under his left arm, unless he's Johnny double-jointed. (laughs) <laughs> he wrote, he also wrote, he said, I'm reading through my who's who this morning, and I've noticed a lot of uh, characters' base of operations is listed as mobile, mobile. Uh, either depending on how you want to pronounce it for this gag. I never realized before how many superheroes and villains there are in the Gulf Coast region of Alabama. <laughs> From our buddy Michael Bailey, and uh, I'm sorry, Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley, and he said, this is interesting. We talked about the whole um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, praise be man. his name. And Jerry, the extraordinary Orway, and Ordway, and he says part of what has helped Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, phrase be his name, become part of the lexicon is how it works as a bit of call and response. Yes. yes. So, you know, with the Jerry Ordway thing, do you think maybe we should change it up and be like, you know, we say Jerry Ordway, we both say the extraordinary, or should know. we put it embedded in the name? I, I I agree with the call and response thing. I think that's what makes it interesting. I don't know if, we're, if the extraordinary is going to be easy to say. I don't know. Well, we can give it a try. We'll see how it goes. I yeah. uh, heard from Gene Hendricks, who's, uh, again, crazy. Uh, he, he's the one who made those hair clicks for us. Crazy in a good way. Anyway, I just he got has, done listening. He has since gone blind, too, from doing all that tiny work. Well, I see now in reading this comment what did it, what pushed, because he used to be a normal guy. I've known him. He and I have corresponded for a while now. I, I realized what pushed him over the edge. He says, I just got done listening to episode 50 of the Firewater podcast, and my brain is still reeling. That's the four-and-a-half-hour episode with Diablo Frank. So, I mean, that would drive any man to, to, to insanity. Because let me put in a big vote uh, in the affirmative if you're still debating it. Not only am I a huge Star Trek fan, but I also actually own those Who's Who issues. So he wants us to do Star Trek Who's Who as well. Stick with us for the next seven years, and we'll do it. Oh, my gosh. 
Uh, we got an email from uh, someone new. We haven't heard from this person. His name is Phil Sunday. Uh, it's S-U-N-D-E. Phil Sund. Phil Sunday. I don't know. Maybe Phil Kuhunde. I have no idea. Anyway, he mentions, <laughs> I don't think you mentioned it, but I don't think it was uh, mentioned in the original publication, but I suspect that King Faraday's name is a pun slash reference to the radio show Queen for a Day. Queen for a Day was an American radio and television game show that helped us usher in American listeners and viewers' fascination with big prize giveaway shows. Queen for a Day originated on the Mutual Radio Network in 1945 in New York for moving to Los Angeles. And then it ran on NBC. The series considered the forerunner of modern-day reality TV. The show became popular enough that NBC increased its running time from 30 to 45 minutes to sell more commercials. Wow. At, at a then-premier rate of $4,000 a minute. As you, <laughs> I don't know where he gets all this stuff. As you can see, the show premiered in 1945, long before King's introduction. I have vague memories of the TV show. It was as pathetic as it sounds. Imagine, <laughs> imagine losing. Your sorry life is miserable. Just not miserable enough to win out over some other woman's sad life thought you'd like to know about this phil <laughs> i was aware of that show i have heard of it and uh, i've never seen it but i certainly was aware of it but i don't know whether faraday queen for a day is, is that you know that might i don't know if phil knows anything specifically but it's certainly possible i mean without a doubt his name is a play on king for a day king for a day I mean, queen for a day right yeah. that's absolutely right is it is it a is it a play off this show or just the phrase king for a day i don't know right. but you know that's if nothing else is a very interesting fact and we're I'm thrilled to hear from you yeah man. thanks we're from our buddy Tom Painter Reese, uh, who does Taking Flight podcast. He says, "I just wanted to write it." You know, by the way, I feel bad when I mention stuff like that. Like I mention somebody's podcast because I know that I've forgotten to mention fifty-two other people's blogs and podcasts. So if I ever call anybody out and mention them, don't you know, forget to do yours. Don't take it personal, please. It's not that at all. I'm just um, a bad person. So. All right. Anyway, he said, I wanted to write in and say how much I've been enjoying the Who's Who podcast. My fascination with Who's Who began with the Binder edition in 1990, and I love how you. Uh, how you guys are illustrating what the entries were like, especially for me who doesn't have that many issues of the old. He talks about coal. This is sort of interesting. Speaking, and I like because it addresses Jericho too. Speaking of coal, for a character that was created for the sole purpose of being crisis cannon fodder, she has a surprisingly big fan following. I used to go on the DC Comics message boards. What's that? Anyway, back in the early <laughs> 2000s, and not only was there uh, there was always a coal appreciation thread on the Titans, wow. boards, but there were people who were fully convinced that um, a hand her handful of appearances in the Team Titans book, all of which were negated by Zero Hour, meant she was returning to the Titans any day now. I personally never liked her, and her naive personality seemed to simply show how well Jericho's sensitive artist-type ploy worked on certain girls. Joey Wilson is the DC equivalent of the guy who brings his guitar to late-night dorm parties, <laughs> sings songs about his ex-girlfriend, and goes home with the girl you were trying to hook up with. <laughs> and those girls don't realize until it's too late that he's a socially maladjusted, creepy stalker type, hence the eye contact possession power. Besides, what could he possibly have going for him other than he's not Danny Chase? <laughs> I'm laughing way too hard at that. No, that is a <laughs> riot, dude. That is a riot. Heard from uh, David uh, Gutierrez. That's the one. Says thanks for playing my nostalgia harp, harp springs. Harp strings. I'm not only trolling eBay and elsewhere for old issues of Who's Who and the DC Mayfair games and modules, I'm dead poor, raising a kid, and am now looking for things I probably don't need but desperately want. <laughs> thanks again. Also, I'll be buying that new book, book of yours, too, Rob Kelly. So thanks for that, too, you bastards. Keep up the good work. <laughs> oh, it cracks me up. I, you, I all, say you definitely need Hey Kids comics, David. That's absolutely true. <laughs> we heard from uh, some folks on Facebook. Now I'm going to repeat a couple names just because I didn't 
sort of filter this down, so just deal with it. If you get mentioned twice, congratulations. Uh, on Facebook, heard from Robert Gross, Kichi Baker, Oscar Elolde, Johnny Eng- John English, Al- Alan Middleton. I like this. He says, love the martial arts theme. Without that, it's a pretty much lackluster issue, but great podcast episode. Wasn't that bad? Uh, Aaron Head Moss, Little Russell Burbage from Opal City, uh, Aaron Bias, Amy Pennington Bias. We went back and forth a little bit about a joke about um, Jorel built the rocket ship big enough for uh, Lara to go with Baby Kal-El, and you said uh, she's just not getting the hint. And, uh, yeah. We went back and forth about whether you know you're being sexist or not. Anyway, our one female listener that we're aware of, Amy said, for the record, I thought the joke about Jorel was was, was pretty funny. Thank so you, agree. Amy. Can always Perfect. back me up. Thank you, sweetie. Her from Gene Hendricks. And now I'm going to go lightning fast the list of Facebook supporters. Thank you very much to Alexander Adrock, Arthur Canning, Ben Avery, Benjamin Embry, Brent Carlson, Brian W. Frazier, Carlos Guillamarez, Carlos Mucha, Chris Hayes, Christopher J. Warden, Comics Havoc, Corey Asaborski, Daniel Cynical Adams, the DC Comics, the Justice League fan page, Gene Hendricks, Giancarlo Nurko, Hector Negrete, Henry Smith, Joe, uh, Joseph Rice, Juan Pablo Savalos Santa Maria, Kevin Culp, Kyle Benning, Marcos Aranita, 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 yeah, Marcos, thanks, man, uh, Mike, Mike Gillis, Russell Burbage, Sean Lee, Defiant Nightwood, Chester A. Mia, Stig Eric Erickson, and Tim Wallace. A uh, couple other comments over on what is this? This appears to be some Twitter thing that I mispasted. <laughs> uh, well, let's do Twitter. All right. <laughs> Heard from Ange, our buddy Ange, Dustin Stofer, Siskoid, um, apparently Firestorm fan. That guy. <laughs> You know that guy. Uh, her for, I think when you got into this file, you messed up something. I, I did not. All I did was bold some things. You messed up some formatting. Did anyway, nothing. Uh, uh, I'm just going to name your names. If your handle is really clever, I may mention it. Uh, Al, Alexander Adrock. This is Twitter, by the way. DMs Elms, Devin Johnson, Diablo Frank, Donald Miller, Donnie Stauffer, uh, FWP Solver, uh, Hector Negrete, Floto Span, Greg Arugo, Jana Ra. Uh, Joey Garzin, Joe Slab. You know, that's interesting. I didn't realize ABC Liquor uh, got Wi-Fi now. <laughs> Juan Meza, Carl Brusades, who goes by Kackstrom, Cord Industries, uh, which is our buddy Tim Wallace, Kyle Benning, uh, Linda uh, Linda Vickers. I wonder if she's related to uh, Charlie Vickers, the Green Lantern. Hey, it's our second female fan. Maybe so, or it's a guy. Lucien Dessar, Martin Gray, Mila of the Clearing, Paul... Um, Paul Bowler, Rushes McGraw, Saranga Comics, Sawyer, Sci-Fi Expo, Sean Merrick, Siskoid, Speed Force, The Secret Police, and Nicole, another girl, Tony D, and welcome to Level 7. By the way, that's a new Agent of Shields podcast. You should check that out. Tony Durso also said, J is for Joker and K is for Killer Moth, the yin and yang of Batman foes, the greatest and the lamest. Heard from Charlton Hero. We heard from Eduardo Escobar. We heard from Hector Negrete in a sad, sad attempt to teach me how to pronounce things correctly. I'm terribly sorry, my friend. Apparently, Oscar Olode is Olalveva. Yeah, I'm never going to get that right. <laughs> Jimmy McGlinty, Luke Dobb, who wrote original superhero music, plus a Rory shout-out in the Who's Who podcast. Rory, roof, roof. And uh, it says, I need to cosplay Rory as the key. I would pay money to see that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Philemon, who we said is always wrong, wrote, See, guys, 
I'm not the, the only fan of the Forever People. And he quoted J.M. DeMattis saying, I have a special fondness for the Forever People. I will give you, you have one fan in your camp, someone I respect very much. So there you go, Philemon. Uh, Sean Merrick, Caffeinated Joe. Then over on Instagram, we got some support from Killer Frost, Ghost Fires, Angry Hero Sean, John Azarona, Chaos, bunch of numbers, Pixie Kill, Where's My Yoshi, Kalil Samurai, Aqua DC Dill, and the DC Fan. Oof. And I think I think that leaves uh, Tumblr and Google Plus for you, sir. Uh, we have some comments. I did want to read one other thing. We got something from uh, Ben Avery, and he mentions, can't wait to dive in. How does Killer Frost merit the primary spot here, by the way? <sighs> and there you go. And who are those Star Trek village people in the back there? And that penguin wannabe. It looks like Kid Flash is arriving late, as if the primary spot was supposed to be his, but he stopped along the way to help some people in a car accident or something. Missed it by that much. I really need to listen <laughs> to this episode. Uh, I like if you did the Don Adams voice. Thank nice. you. Black Canary fan, a.k.a. Ryan Daly, wrote, The better question, Ben, is how does Killer Moth not met the, merit the primary spot? And then Dale Russell chimes in, What we needed in this episode is more boob window. Possible taglines, boob window or keep reading? <laughs> Um, the Tumblr guys, followers. We got well, wait, hold on. Listeners. Over on Google Plus, we also heard from oh, um, on Google Plus. We also heard from Gene Hendricks, Kevin Colt, Max Romero, Caitlin Carter, uh, Moyera Gillespie, and Sean Elkins. Thank you for that. On uh, Tumblr, uh, K Kincaid three, Catch Trim, uh, Ar- uh, Arlo Pear, Cryptomart, Wings twelve ninety five, Caffeinated Joe. Thanks, Joe. Joe Gartson, uh, Irene R B, uh, Suji Tunes. Helena Wayne Huntress. Oh, that's nice. She's following us. Uh, Pachu Kokil. Zagus. Valhau 45. That's Hector Negrete. New Earth 2. Lori 133. Fat Bottoms. <laughs> Hannah Jibu. Gil Kane Unchained, which is a fantastic <laughs> name. And uh, Fred Drandrew. Comics will break your heart. Awesome. Now, folks, if you uh, are kind enough to mention us on social media, which we love, by the way, because the more we spread the word of the Who's Who podcast, the more this community of listeners grows and the more we can all chat with each other and argue about the merits of Beowulf, uh, please, please use the hashtag of pound FW podcast. And if you notice on Google Plus and Facebook, they're taking hashtags nowadays, too. So yep. use, use it. Live it, man. Pound FW podcast. So just uh, that way people can find us. Now, I realize you're probably like, that's not who's who, but it's all part of the Fire and Water pa- family yes. of podcasts, yes, so we use is. that hashtag. I have one more comment to make, uh, and this is related to the uh, back part of the earlier part of the show. Earlier in the day, I emailed Stephen Stefano, who drew uh-huh. the Little Boy Blue entry, and I asked him, would you mind telling us, did, did you ask to do this entry? Are you a fan, or did DC ask you to do it? I'd love to add that info to the show. Well, he emailed me while we were recording. No, no way. His email popped up on my phone as we were recording, so I'm going to read his answer right now. Yeah, the Blue Boys are definitely on my list of dream characters. I was fortunate that I actually got to do them, and Mr. Terrific, who's my number one dream character pick. I love the Blue Boys. actually own a piece of original art from an unpublished story. Although, in truth, I really only know them from the origin story, which I'd seen as a child in the famous first edition's oversized reprint of Sensation Comics number one. So wow. thank you, Mr. Stefano. He's a great – Stephen's a great guy. His story in my book is really, really, really fun, and I appreciate that he uh, sent us back with this info right in the nick of time. So perfect, awesome. perfect way to end the show. Fantastic. Well, folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back with Who's Who again next month. Um, oh, hey, Rob, uh, tell them the Tumblr address. It is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and our email address is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. Definitely visit the Tumblr. As we said, there'll be anywhere from 10 to 15 entries from this issue out there for you to check out and enjoy. And uh, they're awesome. You can find me. 
on a regular basis on Firestorm Fan. You can it's firestormfan.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram, all under the same Firestorm Fan. And Rob, where can they find Aquaman Shrine? AquamanShrine.net. Uh, that address. dot com again. Come soon. Uh, Facebook and Twitter. And you can please go ahead and buy my book, Hey Kids Comics. You love Tales from the Spinner Act, which you can buy on Amazon.com right now. Read the reviews. We've got four reviews, and they're all five stars. So that counts as 20 stars. So please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please go ahead and read the book. I don't think you will absolutely not regret it. It's a great book, if I do say so. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. It's a great read, folks. All right. All right. Until next time, folks. um, Boob window. What's that? Boob window. Boob window and keep reading. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woody Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh, man. We forgot Slipknot. All right. I've had it with Superman. Well, I guess I'll go home and hope that he drops by. Oh. Why don't you find yourself a nice guy? Like Clark Kent. Who's that? He sits at the desk next to yours. Oh, what? Where? Oh, him. Oh, yes. No.